Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. I'm Leland. I'm Mike. Yes, listener, uh, another one of our former guests, Mike Herman, who we brought back uh, again. We really have to, we really have to like just kidnap guests at this point. Um, with COVID-19, it's very hard to find people. So I was like, you know. Hey, Mike, want to don six inch thick face shields and like have a quick uh, coffee, like sucking out of straws or something like that. I don't even know what you do socially in COVID. Anyways, we kidnapped him and we threw him on the podcast. So welcome back. <laughs> no, it sounds good. I, I, well, you're being modest. I did request to come back. Uh, we were having a, uh, a Facebook discussion. I, we were talking about the new, uh, the new Snyder cut and I was like. I want to come back. And then that's how that. And that's um, awesome. Like in, in all seriousness, since we got our first batch of guests last year, you guys have been really keen to come back, which is awesome because it shows that even though we have our one listener, um, you have fun doing it. So yeah, that's awesome. Actually, funny enough, I, uh, I hung out with a friend that I hadn't seen probably in like a few years and it was just like this sort of random get together. And he's like, oh, yeah, I listened to you on that podcast. It was dope. And I was like, really? I've had a couple people like out of the blue, actually, funny <laughs> enough, that didn't like message me independently. They just like out of the blue were just like I-, I ran into them somewhere and they were like, oh, yeah, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, oh, wow. interesting. L- so there Listener you go. has bred. Listener <laughs> has bred, like- Leland. We have, we have multiples finally after three years. <laughs> We might. This might be your uh, highest listened podcast yet. If those people come back, yeah, and if they do happen to come back to you, uh, Mike, uh, oh, we have Patreon. <laughs> so just, uh, <laughs> just, just point them out of Patreon. It's overflowing. Like it's like chests of gold overflowing. But we'll take a few more. From excrusion, the fuck out of that. <laughs> By the way, I don't. I don't want to. This to turn off into like like us like you know sucking each other off here, but I uh, listen to I'd your like guys' that. fucking. <laughs> sure, okay, there we go. Well, someone is. Um, I listen to your guys' Star Wars, uh, the uh, Rise of Skywalker podcast. I probably yeah. listened to it a few times, honestly, because like I'm sort of a geek in the way that when movie uh, the movies come out, I want to watch them just also so I can see the reviews. Unless I don't give a shit about the movie and I'm like fucking spoiled away. But like, so when I watched The Rise of Skywalker, you know, I was just on this binge of like listening to like podcasts and watching YouTube reviews of like all. And it's such a polarizing movie. So it was so uh, fun to listen to. But your guys was fucking so on point. It, it made me laugh like quite a few times. De- de- uh, honestly, not just saying this, out of the batch of podcasts I listened to that had reviews on it, your guys was my favorite, was my favorite by far and maybe because you guys like aligned probably more with how i thought but still that always helps right <laughs> it, it's funny yeah. kind of culturally how we are when we review stuff i mean the movie could be like citizen kane and what we'll do is rip it for 55 minutes and then for five minutes talk about how we really enjoyed it so that's <laughs> yeah no but it was like i i, I agree i don't know i agree with all the points man that is uh man I, we don't have to get into a discussion about that but i it was a very enjoyable listen so listener if you if you're looking for an old podcast to go back to listen to the star wars uh yeah please do one. and and don't make me pay 25 dollars hard currency to buy 400 listeners like i did for that one i actually <laughs> did that uh, using facebook ads 
but it was all positive. Nobody said they hated it. It was a good episode. That's awesome. Well, great to have you back, uh, Mike. And we'll jump into the banter uh, section here where we do what basically is the whole episode. We just bullshit about stuff. So, Leland, let's go with you uh, to start us off. All right. Any banter? I got one piece that I know you'll probably be interested in, Moby. And uh, there is a new version of Splendor coming out with a Marvel theme. What? That's awesome. Um, the art on it looks really cool. You know, it's very comic booky style. Um, but not, you know, not like that cartoony, but almost kind of that more slightly realistic type of, of art. And it's just Splendor rethemed, basically. It plays a little differently, uh, like the, the victory condition. Um, so instead of like in the regular Splendor, where you are basically abstractly building and and gaining uh like gem mines precious gem mines you're recruiting heroes so instead of the mines it's they're they're all the heroes right ah and uh i believe they're you know there's still like the five colors and you're how you pay for them instead of the the chips of like the diamonds or the opals or whatever it's like the infinity stone essence is kind of basically so there's still five colors that you're using to pay and create this engine right to to keep getting uh more of the heroes so the, usually in base Splendor, your victory condition is just first to 15 points. And then you right. play out the round, and then whoever has the most at that after that last round wins. In uh, Marvel Splendor, you need 16 victory points, so one more. But you also have to have at least one of each of the five colors and a tier three card. Whereas, hmm. in, you know, how the, the grid of Splendor, right, there's the three tiers of cards while you go up the three tiers the the higher you go the more expensive they right the more resources you need to buy them and that basically represents you having all six of these infinity stones before thanos gets them oh that's cool again very that's abstract cool. right? the entire right splendor is very incredibly abstract and you could really put any theme on it which this <laughs> proves and from the it's not it's not quite released yet i think it's actually available for pre-order in some some places but um I think I might get it. I might pick it up because I think that theme, you can just draw more people into that theme, right? Splendor is obviously a very introductory game. It's a very, it's a, I wouldn't necessarily call it a gateway game. I think it's maybe a little step above a gateway, but not by much. But I think with a Marvel theme, you can get anybody to play it. Mike, have you ever played the game Splendor by any chance? I was actually, yeah, I was very curious to see what that is because I know I've never even heard of it. What's what Splendor? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's basically, it's a card game, so there's no board. Um, I'm not, I don't, I kind of forget the rules because it's been a while since I've, uh, I played it, but. Um. <laughs> so the, the, the tableau, I can, I can go into it. The tableau uh, that everyone is pulling for that makes up this main board is just three rows of cards, three like rows of four cards or three cards or whatever it is. And. They're in the base game. They're basically they're they represent like gem mines. Um, you know, there's like diamonds, uh, ruby, sapphire, opals, and uh, obsidian. I think so. There's like five types of gems basically, and each card in this tableau requires a certain number of each type of gems. Like if you wanted to buy, there might be a diamond mine, but you need one emerald and two rubies, say, or two or two sapphires or whatever. Uh, on your turn, you can collect some of these chips from the board, which is your currency, 
and then you can cash them in if you have enough to pick up one of these cards. And then on subsequent turns, if you bought that diamond mine, you always have that diamond producing for you to be able to pay for other cards. So you're building right. this engine of production to just get more and more cards and eventually get um, through the higher tiers of those cards. Some of them have point values on them, and then the first to 15 points wins. So eventually, and near the end of the game, you have like three or four of each of the different gems you can make just from your cards, and then you can just basically pick up cards for free kind of thing as you as you ramp into it. So it's it's fairly simple. Um, I think it's really fun. Some people say there's a game called uh, Century Spice Road. I think it is that. Some people say it's just a, a better Splendor, but I've never played it, so I, I don't know. But I don't know. I like I like the Marvel theming. It looks really cool. Yeah, I um a friend of mine plays uh and I don't know if this is uh similar at all, but he plays uh, Magic the Gathering. Is that any? Is it? Is that like a? Because that's a card. we've dabbled no it's yeah movie and i definitely (laughs) play uh magic it's it's uh vastly different from that yeah magic is a very different different game but okay yeah no that's like my my only uh and and i hadn't even actually played it a friend of mine um i know i just bought him some cards for him and then i was just like so shocked about how (laughs) how expensive those magic the gathering cards were He's like ridiculous, <laughs> and I was just like, "Yeah, man." But I, I mean, no, uh, no sweat about it. But it was just like, it was just so shocking to me. I'm like, "Man, this much for a deck of cards?" I like, I almost Moby. I almost actually bought. I very seriously contemplated getting a booster box of Ikoria of the latest set. Oh, dude! <laughs> I very, I was very, very close. I was looking at it, and because like, I don't know. I've been going. I just like have had this hankering to. I want to buy something. I want to buy something. I don't care what it is, but I want something new. I want to, <laughs> yeah, to help boost that economy. <laughs> How I basically got into Magic was I had bought a starter deck or something, and Leland gave me all his cards, including all his sweet dragons, and then he regretted it, so he rebought most of them off eBay. <laughs> I think he gave them to me a second time, and uh, so yeah, there's a bit of a story there. Plus, once he starts buying cards, like if he ever, if I knew he bought that fucking box, I mean, I buy two. I, I don't care. <laughs> I'll, I'll spend my I'll, I'll get I'll illegally sign up for Serb and spend my Serb money on boxes of. Uh... <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Trudeau, with your new laws, no, no, I am not doing that. So <laughs> that's cool. Uh, Mike, how about you? Anything you want to bring up and discuss, just for general discussion? Sure. If we're just doing random banter, um, I just uh, made a giant uh, leap of faith, gentlemen, a few days ago. Ooh. I um. Yeah, yeah. I uh, switched um, from uh, Apple to Android. Good call. I know, call. I know. So, yeah, I um, I don't know. I've been probably using, like, to be honest, it is partly my biases of, and uh, me buying, like, old-ass phones. But, man, I also partly hate what Apple stands for and just as a business, just fuck Apple, right? And so I made the jump Absolutely. from Mac to PC already, and um, that was probably the best leap I ever made, like... I bought a uh, like a a PC that I made with my friend actually, so I bought all the parts individually and I built it. Nice. Spent a good amount of money. I can upgrade it, and I'm like, because I looked at like iMacs, obviously, just the prices on them, and you know what? They just, I just think in general, Apple, you're paying so much for just, I don't know, the brand, I guess, the aesthetics. When yeah. oh, in yeah. reality, yeah, like anything, um, anything uh, Windows and or Android related, like. You can get a you can get better technology for a cheaper price. 
So I do miss iMessage, but like I gotta say, so far with the jump, like couldn't be happier. Finally, like I I got like a beast of a battery life for fucking finally. Like I oh my goodness, the the battery life man on those uh, on those iPhones are just such dog shit. Like ah. Anyways, I got I got so many people do messaging me, be like, "Yo, why what the what the fuck you moving to Apple?" First of all, I didn't know that Apple had that much loyalty like i was kind of surprised about the it's amount a cult. of people yeah it was like I, I it was the same when i got my pc people were like you're not getting a mac i was like why the fuck would i get a mac and then it was the same thing with this when people were asking me why like why i was not getting an iphone i'm like why would i buy an iphone why would i pay for that overpriced piece of shit of a phone anyways um that's my own biases though uh do you guys use apple or, or android or what are you guys on no Android, Android, yeah. Android, baby. Oh, if, if you, love it. I'm speaking to the choir. If you were still Apple, man, we'd say podcast is over. 14 minutes in, we're done. <laughs> just kidding, dude. <laughs> yeah, I just kidding, fucking love it, man. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, it was, uh, it was funny how it was like when I, I remember when I posted uh, uh, on Instagram, on an Instagram story, I said, because uh, I was watching The Dark Knight and I was like, man, fucking Heath Ledger's so goddamn good in this movie. So I posted and I was like, Joaquin man I'm gonna let you finish but Heath man Heath is the best joker of all time <laughs> and the amount of like primarily girls actually probably women messaging me being like but like Walking Phoenix like how could you say that I'm like yo come on like don't argue with me on this like I didn't know but I didn't know that Walking had such a loyal fan base of, of, of fanboys and fangirls and same with Apple you learn something new when you yeah when you when you take a side when you take loyalties towards something Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that Joaquin uh, deserved it, certainly, just like Ledger deserved his different interpretations. I hope Leland's not going to kill me on that. But, um, <laughs> you know, to, to fanboy for one over the other, I think almost does the legacy of the Joker an injustice, because I think objectively, they're pretty two pretty good performances. Yeah, I think, uh, although I would say purely objectively, Jared Leto sucks. <laughs> yes Leto sucks very very hard yeah I think that Jared Leto like for Leland falls somewhere between coronavirus and the Ebola like virus like he's a virus and he falls between two viruses on how much Leland <laughs> eats him yeah so. and like not just not just his Joker I just hate him I don't oh man I feel the I same mean, I th- I was going to get a punch in the face with how I was trumpeting him when he won that Best Supporting Oscar for, you know, Dallas Buyers Club. I was happy and you were not. I mean, <laughs> but, I I had no, I don't know, I had no real knowledge of Jared Leto really prior to that Oscar. He's sort of what put me on that. I mean, I knew 30 Seconds to Mars, but I like, it wasn't a band that I really like followed closely and even knew who the members um, were. And so that was like what put Jared Leto on my radar. And then, uh, and so like, I mean, obviously I guess I had known that he appeared in Fight Club and American Psycho, but even though it was like that, that never really fucking stood out to me. But yeah, oh my God, dude. Yeah, Joker was, Joker was what put him on the map. And I think for all the wrong reasons, it was like all the bullshit leading up to it, all the behind the scenes stuff, all the method acting, just fucking, ah, you, you, uh, you, again, like you, you look about uh you look into how Heath handled the role and how Joaquin handled the role and 
I think there's a way you can be in character and get deep into that character without acting like a fucking asshole, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, there's that whole urban legend, you hear it's not true, that Ledger, like, went too deep into yeah. his method acting, and that's why he over OD'd on those pills. I don't know if that's true or not, it's probably not, but I, I like nah. that legend, but... Little, just quick random trivia on the spot for you two. Well, I'll ask this for Mike first. So, Mike, Joker, Joker as a character, is the second character in movie history to win a Best uh, Actor, Best Supporting Actor Oscar. What was the first, if you want to take a guess? I think um, I'm going to take a guess. It's James Bond. No. Leland, do you want to take a guess before I reveal it? Um, I'm gonna guess Superman. Ooh. It was actually older. It was, uh, Don Corleone. So Brando won Best Ah. Actor in The Godfather. But then a lot of people don't really remember that De Niro got a Best Mm. Supporting for Godfather Part 2, playing a younger version of the same character. Wow. I literally just watched Godfather last night. You like it? That's funny. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, you know what, I don't actually think I've seen all of it all the way through before. And uh, actually, all three parts are on Netflix. I don't know if that's new or not, but... Hmm. Make me a podcast I can't refuse. Can't refuse to listen to. <laughs> that's, uh, that's like the lamest joke. So, yeah, you know, I wanted to jump into my banter, but I didn't write it down, which I should, because I feel like on the spot with all the talk we've had, um, I've kind of forgotten it. And it's it's tough to find... <laughs> It, no, you know, it was really tough to research. Fucking so you. It, it was it very much is. I have a terrible memory, Mike. Poisoned by years of alcohol abuse. But it was hard to find anything to talk about because I don't want to bring this up and I don't don't want this to be my banter, but everything entertainment right now is very politicized. And so it's all, you know, who writes what on Twitter or does this, you know, in defense of... Uh, blm or social movements or whatever again i'm not going to get into that but it makes it hard to find real entertainment uh news but the one thing i did want to bring up is uh if you've seen uh the trailer for tenet that stars uh denzel washington's son yes yeah it looks pretty cool i watched uh sorry just um on on uh because uh, his name is John David Washington. That's his name. I watched yes. uh, Black Klansman probably a few weeks ago, and uh, I, I that's did. That's a good movie. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty good. I've I like that. Yeah, it, it was good. I I think um, I think that the I don't know. I, I I don't think the the movie quite lives up to its premise. I guess, but I thought it was it was pretty okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Tenet looks good. I'm I'm Chris, I was thinking about Chris Nolan the other day how it's so interesting that you know the way Chris Nolan is is just this auteur director that gets to make like you know 300 million dollar art films basically yeah and <laughs> and, so and, and, they, and they're just able to sell um sell them on his name alone like them just putting Christopher Nolan director of the Dark Knight trilogy everybody's like I'm in like you could put you could put anything on there like you could be doing a fucking musical and everybody would be like well it's a dark knight guy so let's you know well he's a he's a brand i think in the way that spielberg kind of was and i'm sure there's other you know select directors too for you know some people sam raimi you know both with his spider-man and his b-movie stuff but he's a brand like you're saying and do you know like has nolan ever had a true bomb 
don't know. Maybe he's had a big bomb, but I, I just can't think of one. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think he's. It... Yeah, nothing comes immediately to mind. But yeah, I think Nolan uh, until like the Batman stuff. I think he was one of those directors where you've seen a lot of his movies and liked them, but didn't realize they were his movies. Yeah. Uh, that's so true. I still haven't seen Insomnia yet. I'm, well, I want to watch that. Ooh. I've heard that's good. Yes, I own it. I can vouch. I mean, that's that's like top Nolan for me there. Really? Uh, it's up there. Yeah, it's up there at the Dark Knight. Oh, Robin Williams is really good in it. So. Robin Williams is super good in it. And... I mean, the guy knows atmosphere, Nolan does, Mm -hmm. and he really, as someone actually who has, like, major, major chronic insomnia, um, like, diagnosed and everything, he does a good job of showing what insomnia is, like, until I learned to to live with it when mine started. It, It was crazy because, you know, he's in this town in Alaska in, like, the summer, and it's, like, light 24 hours a day. And so light is almost like an enemy for him. And most scenes, like if he's going to, you know, go investigate or beside a creek, the the camera starts with him like battling light because, you know, he hasn't been able to sleep and the light's really, you know, annoying him. And you see there's one scene of him trying to like use drapes or whatever he can to cover windows in his hotel room to stop the light. But as some guy like myself who tries to block out windows, always some light gets through somewhere, no matter how hard you try. And uh, yeah, so definitely recommended. Yeah, no, uh, Chris Nolan, man, is a great visual storyteller. Like if you really think about what um, like he, everybody kind of dunks on him for his expositional dialogue. And fair enough, he, it can be a little bit clunky sometimes, but he's also like really good at, you know, conveying these really kind of out there concepts like tenant looks like right. a, a, like it, that's going to be be a little bit like inter, um, inception where it's going to be probably like 45 minutes of an hour to pure world building exposition exposition john david washington will be like our ellen page character from inception where everything will be explained to her for the first hour and then or him for the first hour and then the rest of it will just be balls to the wall like action we know how everything works we know how the universe works so like unleash i think that's i think that's what's gonna end up being and i'm excited for it honestly i think it's gonna be great have you uh guys seen the trailer for bill and ted face the music oh, i haven't watched oh it no no <laughs> how's it look is it look good it looks uh it looks promising it looks very promising so they 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 go uh to the future in this one to uh steal the the song that their their future selves are supposed to make to unite the world so they and they're having <laughs> writers block and, and you know can't figure it out in their now quote unquote youth <laughs> and they go forward to a time where they have it made to steal it from themselves <laughs> i i just hope it's not another dumb and dumber too man where i'm just so oh yeah i hope yes <laughs> yeah keanu in a way i mean his career is like ocean waves it's like he's up and then he kind of goes away for a while and comes back and he's super popular but he's on an upstage right now and it's it just feels weird for him to go back to this particular film when he's john wick and doing matrix 4 yeah he's going back to matrix that's crazy Maybe he's going to do another Speed movie. Oh, that'd be good, because he never in Speed 2. No. He hated the script of Speed 2. 
yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. Anyway, Speed Two. I enjoy that movie, but I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna. I go I could I could see them resurrecting Speed. That's such a fucking Hollywood thing to do, and like. I I give give it give it a couple more years. We'll get a speed three. <laughs> you know what? Defoe is really good in speed two, though. Like that's why that movie is okay, right? Yeah, Defoe is good. Defoe's always good, in my opinion. He's yeah, one of I my know. favorite like, actors. That's, that's that's the only reason. That's the only reason speed two is watchable. It's because of Willem Defoe. Just uh, one of my favorite Defoe roles uh, is Boondock Saints. I think. Oh yeah, number yeah. one. Yeah. Number one. And I, um, I was, uh, I've been seeing like a lot of my, uh, stuff with Michael Shannon a lot lately. Who's a great actor, but it just happens to be some of the stuff I've been viewing lately. Has had a lot of Michael, has a lot of Shannon in it. Michael Shannon's best role, General Zod of Man of Steel. Man, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm, I'm bold take. I know, I know. Okay, okay, I like it. I like it. You know what? Um, man, what is that movie where he's like that dirty cop? Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, maybe that's the one. But like he also he just plays an asshole really good. He's fucking great in everything, man. He yeah, he like is a, a great asshole character. Yeah, I just I just I just love Zod because it's full it's full Shannon. I mean look, like there's probably so <laughs> many more like technical performances and like as a like, you know, if if you know, if we wanted to get all like snobby, yeah, maybe you could argue uh yeah, something like Nocturnal Animals is, is, is Shannon's best performance. But man, I, I fucking love Zod. Especially the part where he goes, I will find him! <laughs> He's just yelling. <laughs> he fucking, he yells so much in that movie, man. But I love I love it all, man. Whenever he's on screen, I'm just like, yeah, I'm in. You just gotta love when a villain in a role just goes ape shit with it. You know? Now and then, he can't do it every performance, but... Yeah, the the scenery-chewing um, arch-villain is hard to pull off. Not everyone can do it. Sometimes it doesn't work, like... I think Batman and Robin is like the biggest example of that is that of, of where it can really go wrong. But like, yeah, so with Zod, he doesn't ju- like just right about he he walks that line to be intimidating, but not like silly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like my number one default performance is Green Goblin. Oh, I just love those Sam Raimi Spider Man movies. Like the first two, obviously, you know, number three <laughs> is number three. Couldn't but agree more. I don't know. It just he's such a good Green Goblin. He's just so over the top and. And yeah, it's supposed to be hammy, but uh, I just love it. D- like, how has Defoe never been cast as the Joker by now? Like, I just feel like that is the most obvious choice. Is that just me, or like, like Leland as a as a Defoe as a Defoe man? Would you be interested to see that? I I I would still be yes, but I think it just comes down to timing. I just don't think he was in anybody's forethought or the back of anyone's or the back of anyone's mind when some of these newer iterations were cast. I mean, obviously his Joker wouldn't fit into the Nolan first. Yeah, yeah. But I think he would have been a pretty cool Joker in Suicide Squad, but they would have had to been had this concept of their Joker completely differently, obviously, right? Like you couldn't cast him to be this weird, stupid, tattooed, grill wearing Leto Leto Joker, right? Um, so I wonder if it's just like it's literally just timing and the different directions in which some of these execs are, are have in mind for for the current iteration. But I, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I think the the problem with that one was that because he was already cast in Aquaman, so there was that, and yeah, like 
I he would have been great in that um in that universe because Ben Affleck was such a like a straight interpretation of like our most kind of other than the killing part like but just aesthetic wise comic-y like version of Batman you could just put Defoe in like the purple suit with the the tails and everything and the green hair yeah. and oh, just go yes. full yeah if you just like honestly if you just did the classic Joker you would literally have to do nothing you don't even have to do what you did with Nicholson where you have this like artificial face or do Ledger where you have to like carve some shit in like fucking uh, Defoe already has that like built in grin man everything's done for you just put white powder on his face yeah absolutely absolutely well Maybe if we didn't have uh, Joaquin's Joker movie, we would have had uh, Defoe in uh, the the newest iteration of the Batman coming up with Pattinson. Or... Yeah, too much Joker though. There's there's Joker saturation, right? We can't have another. We need more Joker. We need less Joker. We need more <laughs> we and need less more Joker. and less Joker. That's uh... <laughs> I know that that's my thing. It's like I I agree with you because if they announced it today that we were getting this Willem Defoe Joker movie, like obviously like as we said like we would enjoy the fact him playing that performance but yeah we 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 have too much joker shit right now i wouldn't it's not something i would want in the future i guess but yeah man he would have been such a great like he would have been perfect to to be a perfect matchup for ben affleck because i never really thought that jared leto universe um or that suicide squad look really fit in that universe anyways i feel like yeah you could have just done classic joker man and it's a shame. It was a missed opportunity. They shouldn't have let fucking David in. I think so too. Well, I mean, even just uh, the 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 stark difference in the physicality of Affleck's of Batfleck and Defoe's slight, you know, cross dressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> pull pull off a cross dressing frame kind of thing, right? Like he's such a slight man, and like obviously the bats is this powerhouse of a fucking beast that could yeah. easily take on joker physically i mean that's the point right that's part of their differences part of their their being exactly. the inverse of each he other was a tank yeah Batfleck was a fucking monster <laughs> i know yeah it would be, I, I agree because yeah his like his uh defoe's like leggy skinny frame would just like it would just been such a good like contrast that's why i don't um crap i don't want to get into like too much of this but like that's why i never really got the whole brooding superman approach because it's like if batman already kind of serves that purpose why would you why would you kind of have those two characters sort of butting hands when they're kind of already the same same moody and shitty i know right and like that uh juxtaposition is also part of those two characters relationship right like that's why they are best friends or at least are supposed to or become best friends their differences draw them together so that's a good point too. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Although I will say, like, I I love Man of Steel. Like, I thought Man of Steel was awesome when it came out, and probably mostly because it's odd because of Shannon. But yeah. I really liked Man of, Man of Steel. Well, we should jump into that uh, first section right about now. So I'm gonna dive us in. So it's time for Crazy About Cardboard. Yes, listener, I am doing the announcement for Crazy About Cardboard uh, because this segment, which we've titled D and D Quantum Tech is a little unique, um, a little peer behind uh, the wizard's curtain here, listener. So we always consult, believe it or not, with our guests before we have them on and uh, just, you know, bring up topics du jour that they may want to discuss. And one of the things, I mean, Mike contributed to both segments, but one of the things he brought up was uh, 
Uh, he'd been playing some D&D using, you know, during quarantine using online technology. Um, this is something that Leland has done a lot of, and it's a really good segment. I've done none of it. And so I, I was just curious. I am curious as we record on your experiences with the game and, you know, the technology and, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, better than in person or the technology sucked or what your characters were like. So, yeah, I just wanted to um, to to dive into it there. And uh, so, Mike, we'll start with you um, for your experience with uh, D&D over quarantine. Like, is this a case where you've done a couple sessions or like one session or like you hardcore in with some people for a game oh yeah i'm 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 in the midst of a game right now i've i don't know how many sessions we've done i've done i've had to miss two just because of okay um school i'm back in school i'm doing online school right now like still at sfu but all my classes are done virtually so but that was my first this is is my first experience with D. so i have a the buddy actually i bought the magic the gathering cards for I was supposed to play with him one time. He made me a character because I'm fucking noob, right? And um, I was supposed to play, and then I forget what happened. The game ended up not falling through. And then, um, yeah, so I got invited to this session. So this, so my first D&D session ever, yeah, is is within this quarantine pandemic experience. So I'm not, um, which is, I guess, is interesting to people who have probably been used to playing, like, the tabletop version. But we play in um, D&D.net does our stats, and Roll20 is is where we do is where our board is located and we chat over discord discord is like uh, fucking what i use for like everything especially in school and everything too um but dude yeah it's dope so it's it, this is my first experience into this didn't really know what to expect but it's like i mean yeah it, it's like entering any playing an rpg video game right um you know mm. you you have a freedoms and you have restrictions put in by the narrative but for the most part you can do what you want and and there's there's something uh you, you can almost uh make the game feel as sandboxy as possible which is really which is really interesting so i've had a great time with it and all these a lot, a lot of these guys two of them or three of them i know and probably like two or three others i didn't know and uh and yeah and they're and it's been fun it's they're a great group of guys and um so made some new friends and it's been a good experience so far and uh right now i'm playing as a human rogue uh his name is uh sir loris son of boris <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's what's his personality like are you just playing yourself or are you acting it um you know like i'm i'm definitely acting it it's uh it's been kind of a fun journey for for sir loris he's he's sort of evolved as a character i i think i i chose i can't remember what i chose as sort of by like I guess my whatever whatever is my moral stance when you when you say like your chaotic good or chaotic neutral whatever the fuck I don't even remember what mine was supposed to be, but he's gotten an interesting arc. Um, he um, uh, cut off a gnome's face and tried to wear it as a mask as a disguise. That happened at one point. Mm. Yeah. Well. So, okay. So that that that, Phant- that, that Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah. I mean that 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 story on its own is. Uh, is fucking it just kind of seems random but okay but let, let me let me set this up uh do you guys know the um you guys know like the rule of three in comedy or movies like the idea of rick repeating something three times and paying it off no i don't actually know that oh j- jokes jokes are like we'll do it like all the time like um or, sorry, fuck, like in movies um 
some of the funniest jokes you can think of they have they follow the rule of three where it's something that repeats like three times and usually on the third time it sort of pays off is that like an on like an ongoing joke so they like do it in the beginning of a movie and then in the middle and then at the end and it's really funny at the end kind of thing? it's really funny when you see it for the third time i'm trying to think of an example of this it's also done in um in in, in um for foreshadowing or if you want to set like if, if in a movie you want the object to remember something, you show it three times. That's sort of the rule. I can think of it. I think I can think of a perfect example for Lee. Sure, Lita. yeah. Uh, because we love we love the movie Dewey Cox. And the whole time where that one guy, I forget his name, from SNL with his drugs. He's like, you ain't, no, you ain't want none of that <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah. Right? And he does that like yeah. three times with progressively harder drugs. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, it probably... I, I know exactly the part you're talking about. I... I think it was three times. It usually follows that rule of, uh, of three. So obviously there's deviation between that, but there's like, but even that, like it's, they wouldn't do real, they wouldn't do it four times. They would do it five times. It's this weird thing. It's like, it's like, um, yeah, I guess to re- make the audience remember certain things. Anyways, that's like a, actually like a, um, a total side note. But anyways, point being, um, yeah, that fucking, um, D&D has been quite the riot. Um, the whole face sync uh, cutting off started off with the fact that, okay, if you put me in any sort of sandbox experience, like especially a video game, like I remember when Assassin's Creed um, 3 came out, people were wondering why you couldn't use the tomahawk to scalp people. And they're like, we don't really want anybody just like going around and killing a bunch of people and scalping them. And I was like, damn, that would be me if I were to play that game. Like, I would be the guy who, who fucking, like, you would join my game and I'd be like, there would be, like, just a big pile up of bodies and I would have, like, you know, scalped every single one of them. So I could be, I guess, a little bit sadistic when I play video games. So we were doing this infiltration into this, um, and my, and, and Lor- Sir Loris is kind of, is not the smartest, you know, People think he's a bit sociopathic, which he is, because he clearly lacks, lacks empathy, like cutting off his face and wearing his mask. He doesn't really think about that too much when that happens. But I don't think he really recognizes that he's doing anything wrong. I think to him, he was just like, when he put that face on as a mask, he was just like, well, I need a disguise. And maybe people will <laughs> think I'm a normal if I wear his face. So, Be- better than latex. Yeah. exactly so i get a lot of basically what i'm saying is i get a lot of shit from the guys in my group everybody's like we got the sociopath sir loris and i don't see sir loris that way i mean yeah like he's clearly like had some screws loose for the fact that like he doesn't really recognize i'm like hey why doesn't any what everyone thinks this is fucked up um i can't figure <laughs> out why so that's probably you know make you know means that he's got some stuff wrong up there but i don't think he's sadistic at all i think sir loris is perfectly uh a noble hero so that's kind of the journey he's on (laughs) at least how you and sir lawrence think is is not sadistic and that's that's part of you know the trope that the villain i'm not saying you know sir sir lawrence is like a villain but i'm saying a villain never usually considers themselves as a villain so like to him he's like you know whatever dude you know it's it's, we gotta infiltrate gotta get shit done Exactly, and and the the, the whole um, backstory behind Sir Loris's uh, face cutting off thing, and why he's a, he's a rogue, by the way. The reason why he's a rogue, I haven't actually revealed this backstory in my in the video game. I've kind of kept it close to the close to the vest. I might take a, a character aside and be like, "Hey, man, do you want to hear my life story?" And just tell them, even if they don't really want to <laughs> yeah. hear it. 
Um, but basically, so Sir Loris, uh, son of Boris, obviously, you know, he's son of Boris, and Boris is uh, a man of uh, of lots of wealth. But uh, he uh, kind of joined this uh, the city group of of called the People of Many Faces, sort of like the me- uh, the Men of Many Faces from Game of Thrones. But we want to be inclusive of women in this uh, in this this uh, group that we got going here. So it's the people of many faces, and yeah. So like Sir Loris learned the ways of being a rogue, and one of those ways was learning how to cut people's faces off and wear them as masks and wear disguises. Sometimes it like if I don't roll very well, I'll do like a shit job when I'm cutting the face off, like what happened last time. <laughs> but uh, but you know that's just the way the uh, people of many faces are uh, roles and uh, but when we meet Sir Loris in the game, um, uh, he's no longer part of the people of many faces. He he eventually realized that it was a um, it was actually just a gay sex cult. That's why there was no men in the group. Um, oh. So yeah, so he just it's, it's Sir Loris. He's he's he doesn't mind that stuff, um, but he's just straight, and so he realized that um that the the face putting off um and having sex with each other uh wasn't actually some rogue um training like he thought it was um so uh once he figured that out i think uh he th- that's where we kind of find him on his journey he's uh he's off being a rogue <laughs> um but but not in the group of the people of many faces anymore so Ah, Leland, that sounds pretty incorrigible. I don't know if he's welcome to your party or what. <laughs> I just but... have I just have one question is uh was the gnome are the faces you steal are they f- the people dead before you cut them off? Well, okay, so see see this is what happened. We 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 actually pulled off the heist really well. We had this guy um who who was who's playing a, who's a halfling who we realized like he could pass close enough as a gnome. So we dressed him up as a gnome and sent him in and he had this uh this drink that he could, you know, not poison him, but they would just, you know, vom- being incapacitated and, and, and pass out. So he had actually already gone upstairs. I kinda just at some point got bored and decided to follow it um behind him. But my guy's like Sir Loris is all about disguises and I didn't really have a good disguise. So yeah, to answer your question, I didn't want to get blood anywhere to really um, uh, draw attention, so I brought him outside, and um, yeah, um, I well, you, when you cut the throat, you uh, and you go for the jugular, blood goes everywhere. So I made sure I took him outside and did that, and kind of put him out of his misery. I would argue. Uh, sorry, I keep saying me, but this is Sir Loris doing this, and so so Sir Loris took I'm him sure. outside and <laughs> and didn't have the greatest role, um, and did pretty shit job of cutting the face off, but he he managed to pull it off. Um, I think Sir Loris believes that everybody was falling for his disguise. Um, but I don't think anyone really did. I think, um, I think everybody knew he was just a guy wearing a gnome face. Um, uh, anyways, that, that was, yeah, so that was, uh, so yeah, sorry, long and short of it. Um, they were dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, even, uh. Even being known as the human that wears gnome faces, that kind of type of reputation can definitely come in handy. So <laughs> that's the thing. I don't know how the party feels about me. Um, one of the 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 priest, I tried to. I had blood on my hand from wearing the gnome face, and I tried to wipe it on his robe. And the dungeon master told me that that I will. And the mage or priest told me that they were, he would attack if I tried to do that. So. I don't know. I think I'm on some rocky ground with the rest of my party, if I'm being honest. <laughs> anyway, That's this awesome. was a great experience. 
Every party needs a shit disturber. Someone to keep things uh, livened up. Yeah, so. Lor- Loris is definitely the wild card for sure. I wouldn't... Um, but you know what? Um, lo- loyal as fuck. Um, so, you know, at least you can count on them. Now, see, part of me asking the questions here is I'm not familiar with any of the online technology to use with D&D Online. So when you play, Mike, like... the. Pr- one of the programs you mentioned is it like showing like a video game like did your dungeon masters make like a map yeah it's like um i don't know what tools he uses to actually like draw the map but it basically be like yeah it looks like your standard like almost like he drew it on microsoft paint like some of like the environments or whatever um any sort of online drawing system and yeah so we see the board we get our own characters we get the spaces it's got like yeah, Roll Twenty is pretty sweet. It's got like a you know a chat feed and everything where we can, um, where it shows our roles and everything and and so yeah, like he we're all chatting over Discord. We got the board that we're seeing from our end on Roll Twenty, and yeah, he's mainly moving our pieces around the dungeon master. He's kind of running that whole show. I mean, I can see how it would work if I were to do it in person, but as far as how it works um, digitally yeah it's it's great i i have no qualms with it i i would be curious to try to uh do a full-on like you know in-person session when this thing was over but yeah it's pretty cool you do need a i mean i was a dm i probably like leland when you first played D, was that with my fourth edition game like way back in like what 2009 or something like that it was yeah yeah that's right okay yeah so i was dm of our first ever game our dearly departed ex co-host here he was in on it and uh yeah so i mean i remember set using like pennies like i had a bunch of pennies and i would use that to outline walls and buildings on my dad's uh pool table or like occasionally i'd actually draw just on pieces of paper maps with hexes like it was pretty that's dope yeah it was it was uh it was i mean it was fun and you know i think the cool thing about doing a pen and paper i actually ended up i studied the uh enemy book so much that i kind of got how to make enemies and what enemies power should be at certain levels so by the time we just quit playing about half the monsters they were fighting were monsters i made up completely from scratch so that was pretty fun oh dope Leland, so how about you now? You, you've, if listener doesn't know, and listener does cross over between uh, the T-Hud podcast, um, but if listener doesn't know, Leland has run another podcast uh, running through D&D uh, for a long time, and you produce way more content than you do here. I mean, it's definitely your main podcast. So uh, why don't you explain a little bit about it, uh, just in case we have new listener, uh, which I think we did. Thank you, Braden. Um, so... Uh, but also just like explain what your experience with them has been through quarantine and if you've changed your technology or habits or anything. Yeah, uh, it's called the Incursible Party. And we do play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. There's five of us, including me. So there's four players. And uh, we we uh, video chat over Zoom and we do use Roll20 uh, for, for maps and stuff. And Roll20, like Mike was saying, it's it's really uh, a great uh, web-based program you can like we don't even really need to do zoom you can video and and uh, audio chat right in 
Roll twenty as well. Um, like Mike again, Mike said, uh, there's there's the kind of the written chat log. You can the dungeon master can also like whisper to other players, basically muting everybody but the players they want to talk to over roll twenty. So nice. So you can have private chats with them, kind of thing, right? But really, our tech hasn't uh, changed all that much. I mean, we were using Skype right at the beginning, um, but Zoom is we we prefer Zoom. Yeah, uh, we've been doing it for a little over a year now. Uh, in our first chapter, it was geared towards teaching. So because um, two of our players, Bill and Elena, had never played a role-playing game before. And they had never done any podcasting before. So they were trying to learn how to play 5th <laughs> edition and be on a podcast, <laughs> right? And develop good mic, how, you know, all the shit that comes with being on a podcast. And then now in Chapter 2, which we're in and kind of actually close to wrapping up, we're... We focus more on the uh, on the kind of the role play, and we care less about getting all of the rules and or explaining all the rules on mic kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it's really fun. I mean, we put out a new episode every Monday and Thursday, about an hour long ish episodes, and we have a hundred and almost one hundred and thirty episodes now. Not all of those are are play sessions because we have our regular sessions and we have what we do at what we call the after party where. Every three or four episodes, we all get on and we basically talk about what happened in them and kind of go over theories that the players have and basically just like shoot the shit kind of format like we do on the TT podcast, just just basically to hang out and fuck around kind of thing. Uh, no, it's it's really fun. Yeah, it's definitely a, a great show. I'm super proud of it. I think all the players are awesome. And also to see the growth of Bill and Elena as players too is just phenomenal in in this like year and three months or something like that. Is is it like if you were to listen to Bill and Elena the first couple sessions and then you suddenly jumped forward, you'd be like, are these the same players? Is it that much of a difference? It is absolutely like that. Yeah. It's 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 crazy the 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 amount of progress they've made and how quickly they make it too. Cause even like you know, twenty or thirty episodes in, you like see it's click, it's starting to click for them. So it's it's really interesting, but um, yeah, we don't uh, really use all that much tech. Uh, there's a lot of different options out there, right? Um, for for map making, actually, I've been uh, fucking around with a program called Dungeon Painter Studio, and in Roll Twenty, there's lots of options in Roll Twenty. And basically, how Roll Twenty makes its money is that they have a marketplace where you buy uh, different tokens and uh, the assets. Like you just buy different assets. You can get like token packs or uh, like building packs. And they have a variety of whatever pack the theme is, right? For like $4.99, you can get like 30 or 40 tokens of maybe specifically you're looking for like aquatic creatures or, or that kind of thing, right? So tons of options. You can also upload your own tokens, uh, which you can upload your maps. So I can make Dungeon Painter Studio maps for a dungeon and put them right into Roll20, which then has the grid and all the movements and... You can you 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 can give access to, so the players can control their own shit too. Uh, there is that capability, but um, I mean, there's lots of again, there's tons of resources like uh, I've used in the past Obsidian Portal, which is basically just a campaign tracker, and it's almost like your own wiki page for your campaign. It's um, it's public. Anybody could you can if you knew the name of the, uh, someone's campaign, you could look up and and pull it up and find all the different. Uh, information on it um you can upload your own again like city maps to it can keep an adventure log basically keep all your shit in one place and of course you can have 
secret documents that only you have access to as the dungeon master, right? So that isn't public. So your players could even use it as a resource to refresh of past sessions. I mean, thank God we have ours recorded. Otherwise, all of the little tidbitty foreshadowing stuff I sprinkle in, hoping to pay off later, they would have no fuck. They wouldn't remember it if we didn't have it recorded. So. <laughs> What you're, you're describing kind of reminds me of, um, have you ever seen um, Harmon Quest? I haven't watched any of that, no. Oh, okay. It's, uh, no, it's, uh, it's uh, Dan Harmon's uh, Dungeons and Dragons sh- uh, show. Is it is it just a podcast or do they video it or? Yeah, I, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's a podcast. I know it's a video. They do, uh, they animate their their sessions. Oh, okay. That's awesome. But you do, uh, you do, but you, uh, what you're describing is live sessions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We record we record our live sessions. Um, it's it's edited a lot to be pretty polished. As far as you know, I'm sure sitting at the table waiting for rolls and calculating out rolls, there's like <laughs> minutes and minutes of yeah, silence, yeah, yeah. which obviously yeah. So that's cool, um, Leland. Because Mike shared a pretty funny, crazy story from his session, I'm wondering if you can think of a pretty funny crazy story about what happened to your characters that you want to bring up i don't know if anything comes top of mind i well geez man i don't know i just bill cast a meteor on elena uh what is <laughs> what, what is this what is that character's name that you do the voice and he was in our session that you were in blake blake likely what's blake likely doing don't tell me he's dead no, uh, as far as the party knows, he's still alive. He's still the mayor of Goldham, a very wealthy or once wealthy city that has come on some hard times. And the party is, they are under contract to do a job for him, but keep getting side tangent. But actually, in the in the early days, uh, Emily, one of our players, she was playing a half-orc barbarian named Gozer. And Gozer was, sounds very, very much like Mike's character, very chaotic uh, she was chaotic evil was her alignment. And she, I think on at least two distinct occasions, literally punched out Bill's wizard character and knocked him <laughs> unconscious because she got pissed off at him. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Gozer was a fuck fucking beast to handle as far as being a dungeon master. <laughs> you're, you're, you're speaking past tense, though. I don't know if this spoils anything, but is it rest in peace, Gozer? Let's just say Gozer, Gozer saw the end of her uh, storyline. I, oh I see. That's hilarious. That's one of the best things about these games is just the stories that come. And like Mike, an example from my when I was DM way, way back, like, you know, 12 years ago or whatever it was. Holy shit. Time flies. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Early on, the guys, they're at a port and they're trying to. I even forget now they're trying to do something on a ship, like destroy it or take it. And like in the cargo hold, they go down. There's just like a zombie brute that I put just standing there. And he just said, why are you here? And that they ended up laughing a lot at that for some reason. And they couldn't get past him. Cause he was like three levels above where they were. I think he was level six and they're at like level three. And, um, what ended up happening was they couldn't get past him. And so I started using him as a blocking device. He'd just keep popping up in places like leveled <laughs> up and be like, why are you here? And he's like this huge zombie brute. And um, by the time they got to this 
the end of their session, like I went ape shit with it. He became like a cult leader of like this huge trans-dimensional religion. Like he became oh, like a it. god, the zombie brute. And, you know, <laughs> so like, you know, he would be towering over cities and be like, why are you here? For some <laughs> reason. Of, uh, fucking, uh, <laughs> like I'm imagining like the head from uh, Rick and Morty. They show you, show me what you got. <laughs> yeah i think it would be right along that lo- those lines and again those are the the fun stories and as far as cruelty goes mike yeah you were pretty cruel but in my yeah. story the guys had to get a scale from like five different dragons and for the red dragon he like he was evil he like lorded over this uh town of kobold creatures and i forget what they had to get from them but the party had to get something from them so anyways leland was a dragon born in that uh, series so he had fire breath so you, you can tell where this is going if i mention this he basically it, the kobold were kind of like mini reptiles so they worshipped leland's character and so <laughs> he made them gather a bunch of like wood like logs and he made them soak it in tar and then he made like all the villagers stand in the center of this pyre and it was going so off the rail like I, <laughs> you know i was kind of fucked up too because i wanted to see if he would go through with what i knew he was planning so, like, I made as an NPC a few, like, young children kobolds that went up to him and were like, I forget what his name is. We'll call him, like, Burner or something. It's like, hi, Burner. I love you. Do you love me? Are you going to keep me safe? And, of course, Leland doesn't skip a beat. He's like, oh, yes, child. Just stand over there. Stand in the middle. <laughs> oh, my God. And, yeah, he flamed them. And I think he rolled, like, an 18 or a 19. So I, like, had the pyre going up immediately. <laughs> horrific descriptions of burning death charred bones but i remember when they brought the the macguffin back to the dragon this evil dragon i was so impressed with what leland had done the dragon basically like frantically rips off his scale laughing he's like oh you can have this he's like, that was the most entertaining thing you know most fun i've ever had he's like here take the scale take it take it oh that was good i i do uh believe i collected the child's flower it offered and scooped up some of their ashes that's right. <laughs> the child offered him a flower. It was like, here, this is for you. You're my protector. Oh, man. That's, that's up my alley. We're, we're, we're a little bit fucked up, but that's okay. Well, the, uh, okay, the last, the last thing I'll say about my session, which was hilarious, it almost ended within 15 minutes because I remember the opening stage was they all awoke in wooden coffins in like what appeared to be a sealed uh you know crypt small crypt small it was like only you know maybe 20 feet by 20 feet or something like that and so again with his dragon breath i think it was leland just trying to get out of his uh, his coffin i think he rolled poorly for a punch to get out so i didn't let him get out and then he rolled for dragon breath and i'm like okay so, so yeah your coffin's on fire you're inside it in a sealed room <laughs> like have fun and i remember the firelight started to spread it was spreading to different coffins and i i know there was a moment where i really thought they were all gonna die and burn and i forget i think it was the wizard had some sort of can trip or something so he like can tripped his rod to spray water i was like okay i want i don't want i don't want this to be over i want to be a dm longer than 15 minutes i'm like yeah fine you spray water everywhere and it's all good it was a good opening. It was a good opening. Yeah, I think it was uh I think it was Marty's halfling that 
would never have been able to punch his way out of the coffin. <laughs> he would never. <laughs> and I think have it was his coffin out. that was on fire he too. Burned in that coffin. <laughs> he would have. He oh that that was so so fun. Mike, any other? Just because we've kind of you know we've discussed the technology and we're kind of on to fun stories. I know you you wore faces, but. Um, anything happen with your party members in your session that's funny or notable? Oh yeah, it's um. Well, we got a um. My friend is just playing a bird character, and I don't know why. I just find that like the funniest thing. <laughs> um, and so because he's just always a bird, and he's like his bird character is uh is very like you know caring to other animals. Um, I don't know what that is. Apparently, that's some his nurturing qualities is something to do with his backstory. I I don't really know, but he baby birded um, a potion into uh, the mouth of one of like our other party members, and now that party <laughs> member is like now has a fetish for it, and like and he's like carried that through. Where like that's the only way he he wanted to adjust something after that. <laughs> oh fuck, that's funny. That's, that's hilarious. Really funny. Ah! You know. Oh, oh man! Awesome. Yeah, I've like you said, Moby. The this game is stories, right? And I yeah, that's why I love the role play, and I think you would agree with me. That's my favorite part of the game. I'm less keen on uh, the combat. I really enjoy the the role play more. But uh, John's character in the Incursion Party, Shaft, he's a halfling ranger, but he's really roguish. He plays it more roguey, but. He's a ladies' man. He's always hitting on all of the NPCs. So he's always hitting on me playing the women NPCs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was <laughs> we had a recent interaction with him and him and a librarian uh, at this at this like magic town, basically in magic town. And he's like trying to chatter up at the desk, and she's like t- uh, saying how he's saying, uh, yeah, what kind of what kind of books you'd like to read. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I like to study my my magical craft. And so, yeah, well, you got any good ones around here? She's like, yeah, yeah, I, I like my books in the back. And he's like, oh, OK. And he's like trying to flirt with her. And like she's just like – but she's like so oblivious that he's talking to a fucker in the ass. It's like, <laughs> it's like but you, so awkward. Did you play her like super literal too? Like kept, kept – Yes, exactly. Right? It's pretty much like she's just like – she really, she really does love books, and they do keep good books in the back of the library. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome, man. That is that is hilarious. I had one one flirtatious interaction, and I, I kind of I botched it. I'm not gonna lie. Um, it, it involved uh two the the two orca bodyguards taking me uh to the to the back room, but it but um or sorry not the back room to a back alley, which inadvertently helped my party because. They needed to talk to the woman, and I came in. And I was like, "I'm just gonna charm this woman." They just completely botched it, and her two bodyguards took me away, leaving her alone. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, so it worked out. Um, and uh, but what also happened is <laughs> they tried to, uh, yeah, they tried to, they tried to like uh, take a swing at me, but I rolled really well. So I did this like like arm twist thing and twisted the guy's arm and pushed the two orcs away and intimidated them. It was uh, it was good stuff. I got, I got, I got, <laughs> I got away. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree, man. I, I'm not a big fan of like the combat scenarios as much. There's still a lot of fun, but I agree with you. It's uh, it's all the the fun little banter and the little wacky shit that could happen. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's weird though. Like, it, if I were to ever 
flirt in a D&D game, which I totally would. Um, it would it would have like a bad connotation to it because I, I actually was part of a session for like four months and it was with my buddy and then his brother and his brother's wife. Um, and they made me like as a dwarf, like they made me for no reason wake up tied to a bed naked. And so, you know, there's like joking talk the whole time. And then like four months in, we did a, a two week break and that break never ended. So I went to my buddy. I'm like, what happened? And he's like, yeah, I don't know how to explain this to you. He's like, I, I was really pissed off about it. But they're saying your character was doing too much flirting and was making everybody awkward. I'm like, dude, you guys made me start strapped to a bed naked and we're laughing about it. I'm like, you set the tone. You set the oh, fucking yeah. tone. That's strange. Yeah, yeah. You just kept your character going, you know? Well, and I mean, that's the thing. I think that's the mark of a bad dungeon master, or at least play group in that situation. Like, if you have a problem with a player, like if your DM, Mike, thought you are going too extreme with the whole face thing, then like have that conversation. But, you know, don't just kick someone out of the group for being creative. So, I don't know. There's my spiel. Yeah, no, that's fair. Because, again, we're, you're playing... Uh... You're playing ca- a character at the end of the day. Like, like I have um, like an acting background. So for me, that's like exactly how I see it. It's just, you know, finding things to chew on. And and, um, and, and I think if you were to, yeah, if you could put in the position of being this, uh, this guy that's strapped to a bed naked, you're asking yourself, well, how did he get here? And well, maybe, like, okay, is he into some weird like bonded shit? Uh, okay, he must be. So what does that mean? Like what... Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it it makes perfect it makes perfect sense. Like why why he would be a uh, uh, yeah. It's just a development of the character. So you know, I I stand I I stand with you. I stand with you there, Moby. It sure wasn't a Tuesday in November when I started. You know, that's that's what I'll throw out there. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I like I like games that kind of have that more fun to it and we had a guy in my very first session actually the same guy that invited me to this group i just mentioned he was just so straight laced like he wanted everything to be like this fantasy of like real video game like baldur's gate if you ever played that old baldur's gate like he, he wanted to actually be like a video game and Everybody else was, you know, joking around. Table talk, you know, Zelbador, that was this big zombie guy. They loved that stuff. Some of my made-up enemies had in-jokes to it. It got to the point where this guy was, like, on his phone, and he's just like, I don't care. Like, he was literally saying, I don't care. And I think that might have been our last session. So my point being, you have to have a cultural fit between all members, or it just doesn't work, I don't think. Yeah, it's it's important that the everyone at the table can voice feels that they can voice their expectations of the game for one but yes they all all these expectations they need to jive and the atmosphere like everyone needs to be on board with the atmosphere that whoever is running the game wants to cultivate absolutely um so so mike you said you have made some new friends from this group so you've started playing with them people that you didn't previously know before yeah, exactly. So I had I had uh, I had three friends that were already in the group, um, and then three other guys that I didn't know. Um, well, actually, one of them, funny enough, I uh, went to I, I go to uh, SFU with. I had a class with him. I took programming with him. So we were just in the in the the group, and I was like, "Hey, dude! Like, I think we uh, we had programming this programming course together." So that was an interesting coincidence, just off the bat. And then yeah, the uh, but yeah, the other two guys I'd never. 
obviously yeah interacted with whatsoever and yeah good good group of guys it's uh it's it's been a lot of fun we're only we're supposed to find these items of power and i think we found like one and there's probably like 10 maybe i don't i don't know oh, it's good it's gonna go it's gonna go a long time because we've like we've been playing like for an extended period of time like i missed the last two sessions but we probably had like i, I would think maybe five or six at this point like so a good good amount um so yeah so we're pretty we're pretty deep into this at this point um but it's yeah it's it's been cool man i guess if i had to, the one talk about whatever pros or silver linings of pan, t- pandemic and everything um yeah i probably would not have had this experience otherwise and would have probably met up with a bunch of people that i didn't really know because i had like the groups i was going to join like before like an actual D um uh we're all people i knew and friends and stuff but it was interesting to yeah play with a co- completely new group of guys guys that i don't really like that I don't have, that I don't know who, what, what they're actually like for the most part. So it is interesting, like everybody sort of playing their characters and everything, and and uh, having that separation, not actually knowing what what's like. I don't, yeah. Some of these guys, like I assume they're not totally like their their characters in most ways, but yeah, that that part's interesting for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome, uh, Leland. Question for you: Have you heard anything? I believe it's Wizards of the Coast that technically own D anD D, right? Yeah. Have you heard anything about them making their own tabletop simulator roll 20 sort of program? It just seems like they're missing out as third parties corner this market. Um, well, I mean, they have D&D Beyond, which I think we've spoken uh, before about on the show, which is um, also a very good tool. Obviously, it's set up for Dungeons and Dragons, but it integrates with all of these virtual tabletops these vtts is what they what they call them like with roll 20 if you have a DD beyond character sheet you can import it right into roll 20 and you know if you were to cast a spell in DD beyond you literally look at your spell list you hover over the name and it brings up the text of what it does right right on your screen for you you can then say if you want to click it you say i'm using this spell you know it marks off your spell slot does all the bookkeeping for you and it will also put the spell's description into the chat for Roll20. So even the Dungeon Master has their own reference to be able to look at it and see exactly what you're doing kind of thing, right? So there is, they've already in, they've already made all this integration with everything that's already set. So I don't think at this point, I don't know if, I don't know if they would, I mean, it's kind of, it feels weird saying like Wizard of the Coast wouldn't be able to compete. But I think uh, like, like the other alternative for Roll20 is Fantasy Grounds, right? Fantasy Grounds is... Uh, another another uh, you know like battle map runner through through a, through a portal and a campaign tracker and they have you know like roll twenty you there's a lot of free stuff you get from roll twenty but there's also a lot of uh, paid content and paid utility which gives you extra extra kind of uh, module stuff within using roll twenty that you can take advantage of as far as um, kind of more advanced um, map options and w- within the system itself, right? And of course, Fantasy Grounds is the same kind of thing. And those are the two like big, th- anybody that is used to and uh, routinely plays through the internet, you know, you tell them, you tell them I use Roll20 or you say I use Fantasy Grounds, they're going to know what you're talking about predominantly, right? So I don't, I don't know if, um, I don't know one that the business model for both of those both of those sites is really worth wizard's time. Right. Considering the amount of R and D they've put into D and D beyond itself. And obviously they've decided that their marketability for 
D&D Beyond is feasible enough where it's worth their time as a company to make money from it, selling, I mean, really it's a platform for them to sell their virtual books. And obviously sure. it promotes the hobby in general. Um, so it, it's this multifaceted, uh, very smart business model, I think. It's also can be quite generous to the people utilizing it, you know, as uh, only one one person needs to own the books and you can share it in a in a campaign with all the other players. So if your DM has the player's handbook and some of the additional supplements like maybe Volos or Xanathars virtually and they own it through D&D Beyond, all you have to do is you just click a little button that says content share open and all your players in that campaign have access to those books. So it's also user-friendly, right? So I don't know if it's even... I don't know if they even care about trying to compete. Doesn't sound like it. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid saying as a marketing guy, because I've said that so many times on this damn <laughs> That's podcast. That's your fucking catchphrase. That's my catchphrase. <laughs> as the marketing guy. <laughs> we we would call that cannibalism, if that's that's the term. If they were to develop a technology that integrates really well with this third party they're making money off it and they suddenly get their you know pants in a bunch and go oh no now we want to make this for ourselves and invest it's like they have to start at square one they have to win over the community who's already heavily invested in these two other formats right like it's just not not realistic i don't think yeah yeah if they were ea they do it in a heartbeat but yeah you know as wizard of the coast i mean i also think that I don't think they would win over the people that are current that currently have paid subscriptions on those two models. Like it would no. have to be something either they would have to seriously price undercut price wise these other two platforms. But like if you are someone that routinely buys an annual subscription for these sites, you're not moving away from those sites. Like you already use them, you're already there. They're only going to draw in hopefully new users. But right. then these other sites also already offer free implementations of them so yeah it seems asinine to bother hmm. cool well that was a really interesting uh discussion does any, any everybody everybody does anybody have anything any final thoughts in online D before we move on to the second segment um yeah i got some closing thoughts maybe i think that um without the these these programs and the, these uh you know browser options i mean i wouldn't have you know four of my, uh, my best friends in the incursible party and i've never mm. physically met these people these the you know emily and john live in the states and uh elena and bill live in ontario canada we never had the chance to meet i mean actually saddish story when this drops the, the fifth this drops on the 15th i should have been at the detmers at john and emily's like two days after to Aww. go out for go out for origins to to the board game convention and spend Aww. a week with them and, and meet everybody but not all this bullshit pandemic crap you know you can't fucking go anywhere so yeah it sucks Man. but i'm still incredibly close with them and uh and i'm trying to i'm trying to settle right now if i think playing online compares to playing in person like if it measures up or if it's just kind of more of a a different take on a similar subject that is an easy substitution and obviously it's fun it's always fun playing in person right it's always going to be right. uh it's always going to be best playing in person i think but 
I don't know, playing over the internet is is a very close second. And obviously the way, I mean, we, we're, we're playing cause to make a podcast. So, uh, we don't get, we don't get just to maintain quality, right? We don't get the, 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 the real feeling of just sitting at the table, you know, mowing down some snacks, having some beers and just fucking around. Obviously we can't be crunching on <laughs> snacks and shit as we're recording the podcast. So it's a, it is a little different experience for us too, but even so, I don't know. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, with Mike, I, I mean, Mike, I do hope you get an opportunity to play in person one day because, as Leland said, I I wouldn't know either. I mean, I hope I get the opportunity to play online. But as Leland said, um, you know, it is a different experience. And, and from your guys' descriptions, it totally does feel like a different experience. Yeah, I, I would definitely jump at the chance. And, um, and uh, yeah, I would encourage anybody... That if they get an invite to try it out, I would definitely say it's worth it. And I think it's cool that me and Leland have both met people um, that we would not have met otherwise. So um, I definitely want to try an in-person session. But that's the one thing, yeah, that um that has been cool about doing these online sessions is is uh is meeting people. So definitely worth uh, if you have any interest in trying D and D, especially now during the pandemic. Like now is like a great time to try it out for sure yeah absolutely i mean what the fuck else are you doing come on <laughs> get your ass in gear not much else to do even with stuff slowly opening up yeah yeah still feels like there's nothing to do that was good that was a good discussion you want to you want to move on yeah bring us in baby all right let's move on to the video game variety show moby is titled it the gold definitive platinum extra edition <laughs> <laughs> very fitting very fitting well, so we're gonna we're gonna be talking about remakes and remasters, kind of thing. I mean, I I know we you had mentioned before we started that maybe this should have been more of a hybrid because we're gonna talk about movies like director's cuts and remasters as well, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, with Mike, you know, here with his acting experience, uh, you know, just my general interest in movies, we have to touch on that. But I wanted to make sure the video games were in it as well. Um, and that we would just kick that off so we can kind of move on and, and finish with movies as long as we want to go. And so, you know, let's start with that because my thinking with that is there are so many video game remasters and remakes, it seems. I just bought Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Uh, yeah, I just was playing it like a week ago. And I was struck by the name of that, that they named it the Definitive Edition. It's like the game's remaster has to quantify that oh now we're done like uh, we might have had other versions but now we're done 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 yeah one thing i did mike um i don't know if you uh like did any prep or research into this topic don't worry we never expect anyone to do anything i uh i wikipedia li- I, or i tried to find a list of video game remasters and there's actually a list on wikipedia and it is gigantic but an interesting thing, so I, I looked through it and I tried to find patterns of what was remastered. And one thing really stands out, this all began, if you hate them, blame Nintendo. Because it, it seems in general that the Nintendo DS era, I guess because that was kind of a more powerful handheld, uh. um, gave birth to the majority of these remasters. Like there was a time, like during the DS era, if you'd looked at the same list, it would be about 70% DS titles. What uh? What year? What what's what was the year? Because you know Nintendo, fuck Nintendo. I don't give a shit about Nintendo. So. 
Okay, so its lifespan was 2004 to 2013, which is quite long. That makes sense. Uh, very clearly, Sony adopted that for uh, the PlayStation 3, because the only thing yes. the PlayStation 3 had going for them were remastered collections of the previous generation, which was an actual successful generation. <laughs> the PlayStation yeah. 3 sucks. We bitched about the PlayStation 3, I think, last episode. <laughs> yeah, I got to agree with that. Um, and guys, you're you're right. If you were to look at the list, I mean, it, it's it's assorted, but your eyes can see patterns if you scroll down. You're right. PlayStation 3. And Leland, actually, that was what I was going to ask you. The God of Wars, all of them at the time, were remastered for PlayStation 3. Did you bite? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, the only things I had for my PlayStation 3 were these... Uh, remasters in these bundled collections and um ps3 exclusives that's what i use that console for yes i absolutely uh owned a version of every god of war game definitely now now mike why i asked just so you know god of war is leland's favorite video game franchise so you know as they were all shoveled into playstation 3 i had to ask um and one of the things i wanted to ask you leland is do you do you regret those those purchases? Would have you rather just played the original God of War? So like, meh, you know, it's actually better to play them on PS3. Um, no, I don't. I don't regret them because actually, uh, there were a couple PSP games that I never had a PSP, so I was able to actually play. So some of the games I was actually playing for the first time, just because now they're on a console that I actually have. So I actually liked that, and I think a, a lot of the early. Early uh, uh, collections were like that. Right. Um, the, another collection I had was um, uh, Ico and Shadow of Colossus. And I had never played Ico because it was from the PlayStation. I think it was a PlayStation game, if I if that's right. Um, it might have been early PS2, maybe. I don't know. But And obviously, I played the shit out of Shadow of Colossus. So I had no, no problem owning that and playing it again because it was a great game, um, especially for the time. So I don't know. I Some of these collections did allow me to play games that I missed when they were when they were new or didn't even have access to and that kind of thing. So I did find value in the ones that I personally purchased for sure. How about you, Mike, uh, when it comes to remastered uh, games? Yeah, I was actually going to say the same, pretty much the same thing. I, I, I've, um, I kind of agree that, well, maybe not agree because you haven't said this, but if, if the implication is, well, remakes can be pretty you know simple money grabs like i don't like when they just do like a resolution bump where they just bump it up to 1080 and just re-release the game like that kind of sucks but um as far as the remakes i've purchased um like for for uh with with leland uh like how his love for the god of war series um i bought the halo master chief collection and that was sort of my god of war to purchase so like i played um halo 3 and uh reach in four but i never owned the original xbox uh, i had a ps2 and a 360 so um i've never got the chance to play uh, halo one and two and so they have all those campaigns on one disc and it's not just a resolution bump they they do you know they completely like do a full remaster with updated graphics um using a new engine and it gives you the option for with a button press to switch back to the old graphics Oh, cool! That's actually super. Yeah, cool. that's really cool. And they they completely um, redid all the um, the cutscenes too. I don't know if you know the company Blur that does all the 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 really they do these really beautiful cinematics. And the guy who owns Blur, Tim Miller, 
Anyway, so they completely redid the cinematics too. So even during cinematics, you can use that function of switching back and you can see the old in-game oh. engine like cinematics. It's it's really it's seamless too. It doesn't it doesn't need to load really. Actually, I think in game I think during cinematics it needs a little bit of loading, but the uh, but the in game it doesn't need a lot at all. It's just a button press. So I was really happy with that. Um, the other one I bought was Burnout Paradise, um, whatever edition that was called on the Xbox One. Um, and and this is what I, I do. This is the benefit of some remasters is that they'll and they'll do these game of the year editions too where they give you all the DLC packs that came out, too. Ah, yes. So, yes. Burnout, I don't know if that game... I think that game was just a, a resolution bump, despite me kind of, dog, you know, dunking on the fact that doing a resolution bump. But that was a game, fortunately, that was a beautiful game at the time and aged really well. And, and honestly, like, playing Burnout Paradise on my Xbox One, it doesn't really feel like I'm stepping a generation behind. So, I was really happy with that purchase. I think I spent, like... I did did buy on sale. I think I bought like it for like fifteen dollars. Included all the DLC. It's the remaster, so it's got the resolution bump. So that was that one was um another one. And I don't know where this one falls under because this is a new category. Um, I bought the Xbox One version of Grand Theft Auto Five. So I had the three sixty. Ah, uh, okay. Because because GTA Five came out on that weird area where yeah. the new generation was releasing. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. I think you'd find there's a number of games like that too. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought too. I didn't even think of that. That's very interesting. Yeah, it was right kind of on the cusp of when that generation was yeah. ending. So I own the 360 version, but I remember reading online that it was only in the states that you, if you took back your Grand Theft Auto to uh, your Grand Theft Auto Five to Target, they would give you a fifty percent off discard. A dis, um, uh, like. Sorry, they would give you a credit credit that was like thirty dollars, which 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 was equal to like fifty percent of what buying the new one would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wow. cool. And, yeah, that's so cool. I I made the jump. Um, I took back something else too, so I got like I only spent like two bucks for the upgrade, and that was an upgrade that I really enjoyed because for one they added yeah they did it um um the game looked pretty good, so I think a lot of it was just kind of simple graphical updates like you know probably improved textures maybe a resolution bump but they added like a first person view into it and they added like some side missions they added a bunch of things that were really like well thought out like even the first person view like it's not something i really use but it's really well put together and they even like i was even shocked when i was playing it to find that all the cars had like rendered interiors and everything when you drove them i don't know if you guys play gta 5 uh either version but that yeah that so those yeah those are all kind of weird remakes where you got like sort of like with Halo the Master Chief Collection where you really got like remasters where you're getting these you know games remade in new engines and you got Burnout which was just like like a, a resolution jump and then this weird Grand Theft Auto 5 situation where you're getting the next gen version which is giving I don't know it's remakes are strange I I, I don't I I because I can see there how problematic they are because yeah it's a very easy way for these studios to just make a quick buck but I think like with what me and Leland have pointed out and is that there's things like, yeah, like, like a PSP version or a console that you never had, or yeah, like a version of a game that you never got to play. And especially with Halo, like being able to play through all the campaigns on one go, like that Master Chief Collection, buggiest, shittiest fucking release of a game I've played in a while, Mm. but like it was just a total mess. But like, you know, I think, I don't know if I would have, like I could probably go 
um for really cheap like buy an old halo 1 and halo 2 copy and play it from the disc and and throw it in my old um in my xbox one because i think well actually i don't think they were compatible but anyways point being like i think the there there is um it was nice to play these like updated graphics in this new engine and made it made the uh it made it a lot easier to get through much much less taxing and feel like schoolwork i guess yeah, it's it's interesting. You guys are bringing up some good points. I mean, I did actually really think about this. And one of the things I never thought of is that it gives people the opportunity, like in collections or in the case of Leland, uh, the PSP games being remastered for PlayStation 3, gives people opportunities to play games they couldn't otherwise because it's like just not financially feasible to go buy an old console just for, you know, one or two games. So, yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. The buggiest shit is something I wanted to touch on too, um, because as I've thought about the remasters that I played, that I own, that I've heard of, watched YouTube videos on, there seems to be a wide range of quality that's put into them and effort, and I think it really shows in this particular style of video game. The the remaster really shows. Even as I go through Wikipedia here, some are like, you know completely remade all characters um added all the old games that came previous you know you see these huge text box in wikipedia and then for some pretty lazy ones it's like you know up to you know yeah. 720p and added a jukebox you know <laughs> yeah function Act- like activision like talking about companies that really kind of put a bad taste in your mouth came to remix i remember during yeah, the the uh the xbox one ps or sorry no it was the ps3 era i think activision is was doing exactly what you were saying they were like digging up tons of old games like i remember reading about games that were somehow running worse on the next gen consoles than they were when they originally came out that that's how little effort they were putting into it so we like anything yeah you, you definitely can it was like when dlc came out right like dlc had this potential to give you so much more longevity for your video game and be able to you know maybe you would be able to play it for years as opposed to you know what you initially got out of it but all that stuff always just gets kind of perverted by the industry when it comes to money and everything like you be like nobody yeah it started becoming all about skins or shit that they they had in the game and decide to put behind a paywall like i don't know yeah remasters i feel is the same way like there we we, there's tons of great examples but there's some where it's like there's the clear money grabs yeah my brother will have watch parties with his buddies as they watch him on twitch like open loot crates from counter-strike hoping that he gets like a knife skin yeah, or a knife that like counts as kills or something. And I'm like, I'm talking to his buddies. These are guys that I actually I I grew up with that went to my my school because me and my brother went to the same school. He wasn't friends with them back then, but he is now. And they're like, you're like, yeah, you know, it's it's the coolest thing. I'm like, what? Having whiskey, watching my brother on a Friday night for two hours open crates of which 99.9 percent have nothing in them. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But that's that's where DLC's gone to. And, um, you know, in regards to remasters, I mean, I have to throw this out there for any listener who is is a fan, which is probably none. But uh, I'm a big fan of Silent Hill. And Leland has the Silent Hill collection, which I think, thankfully, he's never played. Because there's so many YouTube videos on it. It's like one of the laziest, buggiest pieces of shit, as we would say. 
but it's they didn't even have the source code for the game. They gave like it was three games. They gave like three buggy partial builds to some brand new company that they hadn't worked with before. Konami did, and they said like reverse engineer this and make us a collection. And the YouTube videos are posited as like don't blame this small company because they didn't even know. They thought when they signed the contract with Konami, they were going to get the source code. Because of course you're going to get the source code. You're remaking <laughs> right. the game. You need the source code. And it's like, no, here's two buggy things to to reverse engineer. Nintendo actually has a good thing going, Leland. I know you hate Nintendo, but Monolith Soft, which is uh, basically their second party company that Nintendo owns like 90% of. They might own all of it now. Uh, Monolith Soft, who made Zeno, Xenoblade Chronicles and whatnot. Um, Nintendo just like farms out the remasters to them and farms out work like Breath of the Wild Zelda Nintendo had no fucking clue how to make a giant open world so they didn't even try they took care of the story and the art assets and things like that but they just gave it to Monolith Soft and said you make the world really yeah you buy Breath of the Wild and actually Mike it's funny Breath of the Wild's the one game I did what you did I bought the same game for two platforms because when it first came out, you could not get a copy for the Switch. I mean, Switch launch title, you couldn't get a Switch either, so I didn't have it. So um, our ex-co-host had it for Switch. He was, you know, talking about how it's the greatest thing since ever. Yeah. So I just hopped in my car, drove 40 minutes to Best Buy, thinking that, of course, a bunch of Wii U versions are going to be in there. <laughs> there was like a pile of Wii U versions. And at the same time, there was like some rich dude and his, you know, girlfriend arguing with one of the staff saying, I know you have a co- copy of the Switch in the back there. I know you have Zelda. I know you have. It's like, sir, no, we don't. I promise. That's so funny. I'm just like, do-do-do-do-do. Well, which of these many cases shall I select? Oh, this one has a small fold in the corner. I don't want this one. Yeah. So, <laughs> but where was I going with that? I, I didn't even know where I was going with that. I haven't played Breath of the Wild, but I want to. So I heard it's great, though. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And part of, I actually did buy it for Switch when I got a Switch. And part of the reason is they only give you one save file. That was the biggest reason. I didn't want to delete my old save file. Like, it got pretty far. Yeah, what what is with Nintendo doing that? Why? Like, they do the same thing. Like, Animal Crossing. Why do you get one island in Animal Crossing? You know how many no, freaking things I've that. seen in social media of people bitching about their kids tearing each other apart because they have to share a fucking island? Like. <laughs> Animal Crossing is the only one I do understand. I don't understand Zelda. Now, Animal Crossing, the very first one, which I own, um, Nintendo had to give you a free memory card just to handle all the dynamic data that it needed to create the 24-hour clock world and, you know, remember where everything is or should be or whatever. But they gave you a free memory card just for it. So if Nintendo were to say, well, you know, Animal Crossing, it's too hard for us to give you a second save file, I think that's probably the only case I'd actually buy that argument. But, Hmm. uh... Well, I mean, that's still... Just because the argument has some validity to it doesn't mean it's like just because the reasons are real doesn't mean the argument is valid like that's still bullshit because <laughs> the company has then put themselves in this corner through all these decades of them and the 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 trajectory in which the production on their consoles have taken them i mean i know it's i know it's like one game but like it's a huge fucking game and it's still ridiculous yeah i mean it, the game the game is going to become legendary i guarantee you like 10 20 years because of when it dropped 
Absolutely. And it, it, I mean, it was like it, you could not have scheduled that game to drop on a better weekend. It was like the first weekend of quarantine out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had pre-ordered a copy and I got it. And I felt like I, you know, got the golden ticket for Willy Wonka. I got a golden <laughs> ticket. I got, golden I ticket. got an yeah. Animal Crossing. <laughs> I didn't, I don't even have a Switch. And I just saw everybody posting it. And even I was getting a little bit of FOMO where I was like, I I wish I was kind of playing this. And I've never, like, I've maybe played one Animal Crossing. I don't even fucking know. Well, where he's going with this, though, Mike, I was going somewhere with this, is uh, the Switch shortage. So you had any household that had money because they weren't spending money on vacation or doing anything else in quarantine. So right away, people that bought Animal Crossing and wanted a second island and could afford it just... <laughs> like cleaned switches out of everywhere for like six weeks. And so, you know, it created like an extreme, extreme shortage of switches where years after this console's release, it's halfway through its life cycle, they say, uh, you know, it would sell out within seconds the moment it became on, you know, in stock online anywhere. Yeah, I know some people that bought consoles on their, uh, not switches, I know some that bought PS4, but yeah, people that bought consoles when quarantine hit. Well, one place I want to go here, because we've been on a lot of negative sounding stuff when it comes to remasters, even though we've touched on a few we liked. I just want to hear from you guys what are a couple of your your favorite uh, remasters that you played. Mike, you mentioned Halo. Any others that uh, that you thought were pretty sick? Um, I'm trying to think. I've I've uh, re uh, yeah, I, I did um, all the Batman games actually were free on the Epic Game Store sale. So I picked it up on my PC, it's all the uh, all the Arkham games. Uh, I don't know if that's particularly my favorite. I think Halo just takes the cake just because I'm such a big Halo fan and just having everything on that one disc was, for me, unfortunately, as much as I, I, I really hate when unfinished games are released, like, I don't really want to give, um, you know, Microsoft a pass on that, but... Yeah, like it's it probably is my favorite remake. Um, I really love the Arkham games too, but I, I the only one I probably still play or go back to is the last one, um, Arkham Knight, which already like looks incredible on the on those next gen consoles anyway. So it's nice to have on my PC, but yeah, this is another remake. But even even um yeah, but I I uh, have not heard great things about uh, PCs. Uh, uh, the ports of those Batman games on PC, so yeah, mm. uh, so maybe not so such a positive note, but <laughs> that's another one I played. How about you, Leland? Um, well, I think uh, as far as like remasters go, yeah, I mean, I got the most life out of those God of War bundles, but I, it's like there's a lot of gray area when you define a lot of these things. Like, right? I mean, we've we've said remaster, we've said remake, we've said uh, rebundle right like there's such a spectrum of what these companies do put out which we have obviously touched on and a lot of it is just you know money grabs but i think uh we, we kind of have a point here uh, kind of positing the question of whether or not we think it's more of a fad and i think that it becomes less prevalent or it becomes the definite this weird great definition becomes even more twisted and undefinable with uh, the 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 prevalency of online marketplaces through like even just through your console like the PSN or you know the right. Switch's marketplace and that kind of stuff where you where you can get these you know previous generation games for you know in most cases free with a subscription for like uh, PlayStation Plus or or Xbox One service whatever the hell it's called 
um, you get these older games for free just because you're paying monthly fees. Mm. So do they, I mean, how much effort does that fucking take Sony or Microsoft to do or to yeah. put into their, their marketplaces? It doesn't take them any fucking effort. So I don't, I don't know if like they're, if they're like, you know, when I think of a remaster, I think of a physical copy, a single disc with two or more games on it from like 10 years ago. Like that's the, that's my impression of thinking of a remaster. So I don't know. I don't know if that's, if it's even a thing. I think now though, we're, we're seeing move into more uh, remakes. Like, I mean, we've reviewed on this podcast, on the podcast, Resident Evil 2 remake and Resident Evil 3 remake. Yeah. Now, obviously those are becoming more and more prevalent for Capcom, <laughs> right? Um, shit, I mean, th- think of how many how many consoles they put Resident Evil 4 on. How many fucking different consoles you could buy that on? You could literally have any console in your house from the past 15 years and be able to get a copy of Resident Evil 4 and put it on it. Like, it's, yeah. it's bonkers. Fucking bonkers. So... I don't know. I don't know if there's how, how do you how do you tell what you, what you stay away from and and what what draws you. I mean, obviously, I'm quite thankful for Res RE2 and RE3 make. I've never played those two original games, so I got a chance to experience. I mean, in in the in the in talking about three in some weird, twisted, not really what Very it was twisted. version, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I'm I'm glad. I I mean, I enjoyed both of those games for in very many different ways and for very different reasons. Uh, you know, one of which much more so despite putting a lot more time into the other one, but I, I'm, I'm glad that they were made and I'll, I'll, I'll buy our Resident Evil 4 make. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm fucking the hooks in my gill and it's pulling me through the water. So I'm fucking there for it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I think for me, what it comes down to, you know, I think there'll be less remasters and more remakes as you talked about, but what makes a remaster in particular valuable to me, um, as I was thinking about this earlier was quality of life improvements. Number one, by far more than graphics, more than anything. And I mean, I'll give an example, another Zelda example, um, for wind waker HD, which I own, they introduced an extra sale. And what the sail means is that, you know, you got a sailboat, you have to go around this huge ocean. Uh, the sail just lets you turn the sail and the boat will turn. Whereas before you had to pause, bring out your wind waker, which is like, you know, like a conducting cue and play a song just to change the direction of the wind every oh, single time no. you wanted to change direction. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was horrible. It was notoriously oh, no. horrible. And there was another segment later in that where you, the Triforce, which is the thing you're always after, this golden triangle thing, it was like broken into 13 pieces. And you had to pay the stupid elf guy like a thousand rupees to decipher each chart to tell you where one of these 13 pieces is. And... So like you were just like grinding and grinding to collect all these rupees just to get one chart read. And then you've got to go on your boat and then you've got to play the wind song a bunch of times, pausing and unpausing just to get to the spot where you can get this golden thing. And they totally changed that. They like reduced it down to like five pieces and then he only needs to read, oh, I think six pieces and he gives you two every time he reads a chart. So those kind of quality life things are are what appeals to me the most. 
Yeah, that reminds me of um, uh, when I bought Burnout, and I think this was actually added as a patch, but it was technically in, in the remake, was in, in Burnout Paradise, you could stop races by just coming to a full stop. It's like an open world racer. I don't know if you, have you guys played Burnout Paradise? I haven't, no. Open world racer, that sounds cool. Oh, it's it's really, it's really good. Yeah, it's just like, it's it's a real fun game just to drive around, cruise, do stunts and everything. I, I'd honestly recommend it. I, I just paid like nothing for it. But anyways... You couldn't restart races. You could only come to a full stop and then the race would end. But if you like, uh, but you could never just restart it again. It was very bizarre. It was a feature oh. that was not added. But yeah, they just added a restart race button into the. That's that seems so obvious. I know. Well, if uh, this is off topic, that's like uh, I don't know if you guys heard about that totally total failure of a business, uh, Quibi. Um, but they didn't let people. Uh, mirror their the quibi shows onto uh like onto tvs and stuff and that was a feature that was added late oh yeah yeah don't even get me started on quibi what uh let's just put a shit show that whole thing was you know back on topic i want one one question i gotta ask and i don't even know if i have any questions to ask on video games after this point but it's pretty common nowadays in remakes or remasters well we'll talk we'll use the term remaster to like throw in an extra like segment to the game that's maybe 15 minutes long or a couple hours long do you guys see value in that or like is it something that makes you want to pick up a remaster more or do you really not give a shit i don't give a shit yeah to me to me it feels like it feels like 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 uh when it, and we're gonna it's it's almost could be a segue to to the movies but um sometimes sometimes i find when you add something uh to it um there's usually a reason that was cut out in the first place like mm. it either affected the pace of the movie or game or it was reinforcing something that we didn't need to know and i find most of those t- there's most of those things it's really worth your time it's more like this is cool if you're a fan but like it doesn't re- it's not an improvement on the the experience right the the addition instead becomes a subtraction right there's definitely some times where I think more. I think a lot. Um, there's quite a few cases where, yeah, the director's cut. You're. I, I think especially uh, with George Lucas's remakes of uh, the Star Wars trilogies, because like he would add scenes that were cut of the original movie, like in New Hope and everything. Just weird things that kind of affected the pacing. Where you're like, sometimes it it is just short and sweet. It's it's better just to have more, uh, less is more. I find in yeah. most of the cases and especially with video games though too when they add an extra level it's usually some level that was cut from the game and, and sometimes it is kind of cool because maybe it's something they didn't finish it but there's usually a pretty good reason if something's removed and i don't like the attitude of even though you they removed it for a reason just throwing it in because it's easy yeah like like i think that's that's the problem with some of these directors cut is yeah you're adding these extra scenes but you're like but they were cut for a reason and the movie flowed together better when they didn't have them yeah i was gonna ask you specifically about the star wars director's cuts because i know you're a big fan what you thought about it it sounds like you more see it as a curiosity than you all out hate the additions am i reading that correct or are you like no i i only love the original cuts um well I'm I'm actually not um, a big Star Wars fan. Just right off the bat, oh I, okay, yeah, no, I I mean the reason why I loved your I I loved your guys' Star Wars review so much was just because because I like anything that is sort of polarizing. Because um, that's because mm. that's to me is like 
I would rather watch something like I, I don't really want to say that I think I think Force Awakens um plays it safe in a lot of ways. But I'd rather watch something um that um uh, makes a lot of <laughs> takes a lot of uh big swings rather than plays it entirely safe. And like we're gonna right. get into Zack Snyder, for example, but you know, yeah. um Zack Snyder to me is a director that I'm not particularly fond of, but if I had to take a, I don't know, maybe something a little bit more generic middle of the road and, and or, or take a Zack Snyder movie that's pretty hit or miss, like that 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 to me is like if we're gonna if we're gonna when we get into the discussion of this whole Snyder cut thing, that to me is when I think of that, I get into the this debate with people where it's like, well, will this uh, movie be better? And I think I don't know if it will be better, but at least I will watch that movie feeling like it was it came from the mind of an auteur rather than some sort of committee. And like the, so like the other day, like me and my friends were like watching we we're being re watching some old Bond movies and um we were deciding which pierce Bra- brosnan one to uh watch and we had already seen goldeneye and we but we wanted to but um we wanted to watch one more and my buddy's like dude i don't want to watch um die another day that's the halle berry one right die another day yeah 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 he's like i don't want to watch an eye die another day uh, it's it's so aggressively bad i'm like i would and i just told him i was like i'd rather watch that because it's so aggressively bad and kind of is just so balls to the wall going for it I'd rather watch that than the kind of in between Brosnan movies that sort of play that were just sort of lesser versions of Goldeneye, basically. Yeah, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Like I, I'm a huge Bond fan, so I'll I'll you know contribute all day long. But uh, Tomorrow Never Dies uh, kind of gets that label for Bo- Brosnan, but also the world is not enough. Um, that used to get that label as well. Though more and more I've been seeing on YouTube because I look up Bond retrospectives that uh, <laughs> the world is not enough is being more and more respected for some reason. Yeah, I, I did notice that trend. I think it was just because um, I think because at the time it was being stacked up against Goldeneye and it didn't have the perspective of uh, the Halle Berry one. Fuck, I always forget the name of it. That one coming <laughs> out, they didn't have that perspective. It's one of those things where people are like, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad kind of thing. <laughs> Anyways, direct, director's cuts is, is such a funny thing because we, we've talked about it where we were, me and you, um, Moby, we were just sort of having chats about the, all the director's cuts we can think of. And yeah, it is interesting how it can be co- a sort of, um, I think most of the time it operates, just back to your Star Wars question, it does operate more as a thought experiment then usually improving the movie i think with star wars we we definitely saw that it doesn't improve the movie like there's been there was darth vader scenes added to new hope that again like the the movie was deliberately cut those either those scenes for a reason they're redundant and they feel redundant they don't add anything to the movie and like Mm -hmm. most and most of the time that is what we see and there are totally like exceptions i think ridley's ridley scott seems to fall into this category of you know his theatrical cuts um really not playing as well as his um has his director's cuts like i could kind of think of two examples there's blade runner which has three different cuts which we're talking about like 
when you said the definitive edition earlier, remind me of that, how, how the last one's called the final cut. Like that is, <laughs> yeah. that is letting you know that we will not get any re-edits of a Blade Runner. I've heard the counselor is a direct, it has a good director's cut. That's better than the theatrical kingdom of heaven. We brought up, um, I don't yeah. know if his Moses, maybe his Moses movie has a good director's cut. Who knows? But, um, yeah, it seems, it seems really Scott. Um, he's, he's, uh, he kind of falls into that. Um, if you watch Batman vs Superman, um, I'd be curious to know your th- your thoughts, Leland, because you're a Man of Steel fan. But Batman vs Superman, um, love it or hate it, I will say is a more complete, fleshed out, less messy movie in in the Ultimate Cut. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. That is what I heard. I have yet to watch it, but I do want to watch it. I mean, for all of its faults, I mean, like there there's some good stuff about BVS, and I I like. Uh, Henry Cavill's soups. I I like Batfleck, quite honestly. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yep. I hated fucking Eisenberg's last Lex Luthor. I know. I know. I yeah, we're not here to talk about Batman for Superman directly, um, but I. It's funny you uh, you bring up about uh, Scott. Do you think that that is more a, a result of? the the way that Ridley Scott interacts with studios and like do you think that they just they just he butts heads he butt heads with studios more than maybe some other directors and it results in this theatrical release that the studio is pressuring and then you know after the fact we get his cut kind of thing yeah that's a that's a tough one for me because Ridley Scott I was thinking this the other day that there's some well known directors that despite the fact that they've made some good movies that they're they're well known they don't get that level of power like someone who uh, um, that nolan gets where he's kind of given free reign by the studio and an example of this i could think of is when danny boyle signed on to bond who left danny boyle is a very good director you would think danny boyle would be one of those guys that they would completely leave him alone but clearly they didn't and i wonder that a little bit with ridley scott and ridley scott is an interesting director because He's known for being on time and on budget and being very efficient. Two things that studios like, and and most of his films bring in a lot of um, bring in a lot of money. So you would think they would trust him to um, kind of release the movie that he wants. I don't know if maybe the movie he wants is just too long. Like Blade Runner is a different scenario, is a different story. Yes, it like is. he yeah. like he he was a lot younger back then, and he probably didn't. But yeah, something like kingdom of heaven or the counselor or um or yeah some a movie like one of those those are interesting cases to me where i'm like yeah like you would think that because it has to be a studio thing there's no way that um scott would release kind of this half-baked version of it unless he really thought the cut that he he had made was able to to convey his vision but you know yeah, it's usually it's always a studio thing, but it's tough, man, because sometimes you you do see director's cuts where you're like, man, some studio stepping in was a good call on this one. Like, I, like I watched Donnie Darko the other day, and I'd be curious to see uh, here because um, um, Moby, you said you had watched it, but I was looking up the differences, and it does seem the director's cut does seem a little bit more um, indulgent than the theatrical cut and i don't know if that's good or bad because sometimes it is bad sometimes like i think of guys like tarantino and i'm like man sometimes i wish he did have a slight studio oversight because he kind of just 
sometimes his movies are too long. Hateful Eight is a prime example of this. Yeah. Well, Donnie Darko, and, and I'll go into explaining about it, but Leland, have you seen either cut of Donnie Darko? Both can't remember. I don't know what one I've seen. Okay. So I saw the director's cut first. I was introduced to it by a friend, and I think I probably had seen it two or three times before I rented the original cut. And for whatever reason, you could call it like primacy bias or whatever because of what I had seen first, the director's cut. I really did not like the original cut of Donnie Darko. But Donnie Darko is a little unique in how it was director's cut. It wasn't just adding some scenes or taking some scenes away. They rejigged where some scenes took place, and they also rejigged which music appeared in which scene. Mm -hmm. And I think the music, more than anything, was memorable to me on how I hated how it was in the original cut, but loved how it was in the director's cut. The, the other thing that the director's cut added were some... I almost want to say cutscenes where there's this book that tells you about time travel and it's still really cryptic. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. They added those. Yeah, and honestly, Donnie Darko, as much as I like it, it's a very incoherent movie. And I needed, I usually don't like my handheld uh, when it comes to narrative, but I needed it in Donnie Darko. Yeah, because because you saying that like about the handholding thing. Because when I'd seen that difference, because I again, I haven't seen the original version, but I watched a video that was breaking down the differences between the cut. And um, that was one of the things when they said that, like, they kind of added these almost like, yeah, these expositional images within the thing. It did feel to me when I saw it initially, I was like, I was like, um, I was like, yeah, maybe this is one of those things where it is, could be considered handholdy. But at the same time, I left that movie not even fucking knowing what happened. So, um, I, 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 it's hard for me to even make that judgment of whether, because I, I do think sometimes directors kind of do fall into that thing where it's like, again, less is more, right? Where they're like, oh, I really right. got to emphasize this thing. And then it's kind of like, well, did you really need to? But, but I think, um, but yeah, that's interesting. Donnie Darko was, yeah, was an interesting case where, fuck yeah, man. I, I can't even say, yeah, whether I really fully understood it by, by the end of it. So here, here's a point I want to make that's a broad level point. If director's cuts of films are aptly named so that for whatever reason the director could not make the movie he wanted to make the first time, then Hollywood is broken on some level. Because that means that uh, Hollywood either had studio interference that led to a movie that was just popular enough that, you know, they gave the free reign for the director to come back and make the film he wanted to make in the first place, or you, you touched on ego directors have so much ego sometimes that they don't make the movie with passion how they actually want to make it the first time and then they want to come back to it later and say like oh you know i want to i want to fix it i want to finish it off like the director's cut should not exist to fix a film is my point i know and that's that's unfortunately what the uh the final snyder cut well, the oh, Snyder sorry, cut. Never mind. Oh, yeah. Well, Snyder cut too. We can get into Snyder cut, but that's also what the final cut was as well. Final yes, cut it is, was, yeah. is yeah, very much really fixing his moving. And I agree with you. I, I it's, it is tough because even American History X, um, the the um, director has like did not even want his name on that movie. And I'm pretty sure that 
Edward Norton is like the ghost editor of that movie. That like he actually edited that movie. Mm. Sort of took it from the director's hands, oddly enough. But the thing is, American History X is a great movie. And I don't know whether when they took took it from his hands, what state that movie could have been. And maybe that was the right call. Um, but 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 the Snyder Cut, this is a wholly diff- different case. And I wanted to bring it up because I was very curious to hear what your thoughts. And especially you, Leland. I feel like yeah. you would uh, you would have a strong opinion on this. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with both of you saying, like, it shouldn't fix the fucking movie. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, y- y- you get one shot at it really mm-hmm. right like right it's interesting though like how you can you get almost double the movie though by putting in a couple more scenes that were left on that cutting room floor but like people people have been clamoring for for snyder cut of justice league for you know since fucking mm-hmm. justice league came out right like yeah uh justice league sucked um i would watch a snyder cut i would watch a snyder cut i'm not I don't know how I feel about Snyder in general. Um, like he's not a garbage filmmaker, but when it comes to DC properties, I don't know. It's I think it's tough to to know how much of the shit was Snyder and how much of it was Warner Brothers uh, in a lot of areas. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think. Do okay. Do you both think that like in the event of this Snyder cut? that there's almost this obligation for it to be dropped for we for for the for the audience of these movies that was shit and that might be fixed with a new cut to be put out are you saying like sorry are you saying that the fans that kind of were burned by justice league and sort of dropped the dc universe would this bring them back are they owed a snyder cut that, uh, that's that's a really tough question because I've heard so many different sides, and just to be clear, uh, to make my stance pretty clear off the point, I really hate the parroting of this idea that the precedent that this uh, that this sets for studios and, and, and fan properties in general by by bowing to fans' uh, mm. requests. Yeah, I, I I don't. I've heard that parroted a lot, and I don't agree with it because I, I want to read what my friend said. My friend had this really good um, quote. Let's see. Um, Oh, you know what? It's it's gone. Sorry, I can't I can't find it. No but worries. my friend basically just made the point that like he just sarcastically said, you know, it's it's um it's it makes me nervous that studios are listening uh to fans about properties that have been around for decades and have already pre established fan bases. And like I, I just mm. like when I think of that, like I, I can't help but agree, like, you know, Warner Brothers doesn't own batman and don't own the dc universe they have the film rights in that regard and yeah they don't owe us anything but to say that fan output like i i do think there is danger in listening to fan feedback there there just is like sometimes fans don't know exactly what they want and sometimes giving them what they don't expect is better well look at what happened with this latest star wars trilogy and the ups and downs it took with an already divided fan base. Like that fucking fan base is split down the goddamn middle about every fucking aspect of those stupid movies of that fucking franchise. (laughs) Like you can't bow and cater to every fucking whim of a fan base. No, you can. And that's primarily why that the rise of Skywalker failed. And it's the same with, uh, 
and it's the same with Justice League as well. I, I guess, I guess this particular case was weirdly enough. Snyder has this really dedicated fan base, and I don't know if they're a small vocal minority or if he does have a large audience. But for some reason, Snyder has got his fans and. That's the reason why the Snyder Cut exists, honestly, primarily. There's other factors that could, could went into it and why they Warner Brothers ultimately pulled the trigger. But, I mean, they were buying, like, airplane banners and shit and buying billboards. Like, it's, it is this weird special case where it's like, yeah, they don't... Um, that, that most I don't know if most directors could, you know, insp- I don't know, get people behind them in that sort of capacity, but... I don't know if it's also because of the property, but I think the thing is, is that people were promised that they were going to get a Zack Snyder movie and whether that's like good or bad, whether you feel about Zack Snyder, when Joss Whedon was asked to come in, the Warner Brothers said he is coming in to shoot Zack's movie and this will be a Zack Snyder movie. And we can clearly see that's not the case. And we know most, we know probably he was, Zack Snyder was fired. And that his daughter's suicide and his family issues were probably used as a good, you know, way to kind of remove him from the from the scenario without causing controversy of announcing that they're firing him. Like that's clearly what happened. I I think there that hasn't been, you know, widely reported. But I think the fact that he hasn't seen this uh, seen Justice League Zack Snyder himself. And I think the mo- that the fact that the movie is so drastically different that he sort of divorced it as his own really makes me think that it wasn't a very amicable decision to bring Joss Whedon in. And so I I think just on a moral standpoint, I think, yeah, I think that was, I think the whole thing is a shit show. And I genuinely feel, felt Zack Snyder was wronged. And I maybe don't think the fans um, were owed anything. But I think on a conscious level, I think I think Warner Brothers is making good on a major fuck up that they pulled because I I think the worst precedent that was set was removing a director halfway through through a film, you know, based on a you know family tragedy, using it as a front, firing him, trying to get the movie done before the year ends so you can get your bonuses and not delaying it until he comes back. And also not spending the money and the time to actually finish the movie and putting it in a workable state. Like, it's like for me, that's in, as inexcusable as it is, is releasing an unfinished game. To me, they released an unfinished movie. So, to me, that's the precedent that shouldn't have been set. So, like, you know, bending to fans' wills and fan campaigns is, to me, yeah, like, I, I understand the problems of this. But this was, to me, something that Warner Brothers really needed to make right and they really botched. And I think that's the bigger problem. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting what points you guys are bringing up because I didn't think about the pandering to Snyder's audience, which is obviously what happened. Is it 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 can be seen as nothing else really but a knee jerk reaction. You know, I think what you had were a bunch of studio executives. They were either thinking, okay, we can make a quick buck off this because everybody's saying Snyder, 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 I want to buy it, or that they're worried they were going to lose fans because the fans were just so sour because of this. And I I think it's more the, the, the former than the latter. But here's a problem I'm going to bring up is Justice League was not a good movie, 
But Snyder is now being seen as this Jesus Messiah that his cut, just by cutting it alone into a director's cut, is going to somehow make this epic movie fantastic. And I think those expectations are just too high. They're ridiculous. They're likely yeah, un- unachievable. I know. How right? could, yeah, how could what is what we have possibly be turned into some type of master some type of godly saintly masterpiece <laughs> famous sports quote from an old uh, bc lions quarterback out here you know you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit <laughs> yeah i i um while i i do agree like i'm hearing some things about this uh like people now wanting to get the david ayer cut of suicide squad and I, I get mm-hmm. I, I get your perspective because it's like it's like um, another example another phrase is like you can't polish poop and I, and <laughs> and um, I, but I don't think that this Justice League is a real is really necessarily a fresh coat of paint on this like it is this weird unique scenario and I've done a lot of research into it where yeah, they used a lot of Snyder footage but they repurposed it for different things they maybe quite possibly and i would say it leans towards this just having seen the movie because henry cavill's mustache that is like the keyest like the biggest key indicator of when the show goes into joss whedon footage or the movie goes into joss whedon footage it's like right there in front of you it's got bad screen it's very easy to tell once it goes into joss whedon territory and from what i've read about the plot and everything that Zack snyder was dropping like i really think we are gonna get a different movie i don't think we are getting i and and I don't necessarily mean this is going to be a good movie. I agree that I don't think it can possibly live to the expectations this movie has been set, at least for the fans, the people that want it. Like, there's just no chance. And, like, I love, like, I, I'm i I'm not the biggest Zack Snyder fan, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think his movies are bloated and um, and mainly messy at times, and he's pretty hit or miss. But I, I just, but like when you talk, you asked me earlier about thought, the thought experiments of remakes. This to me is the most interesting thought experiment we've ever gotten when it comes to film. Like, like again, like this goes so far beyond just being like an extended edition or a director's cut. Like this is, this is basically like you, um, like Leland, you said you don't get a second do over. This is, is like as much of a second do-over as we've ever gotten a movie. Like this is oh, yeah. a remake of the movie. It's kind of insane. And I'm even hearing that they're putting up twenty to thirty million dollars, maybe more, to reshoot footage. Wow. And like yeah, and, and, and so apparently he has he has a four hour cut of the movie. Again, Snyder bloats his movie. I don't know <laughs> oh I don't know God. whether that's good. <laughs> but they're thinking about doing a breaking it up into mini a miniseries. Because so this is so this is why this thing is ultimately being made. Again, the fan outcry was big enough to keep them on the radar to know that there was an audience for it. But the other two big factors is COVID nineteen. Nobody can shoot anything, and HBO had their Friends remake planned as like their big you know their big HBO Max like cornerstone, and they couldn't shoot it. So the thing about Zack Snyder's uh. uh cut is they have the footage they just need to put the money in to finish it and the shooting that they probably need to do how maybe they can do in a green screen studio and kind of get around this whole pandemic thing and then and it's just the viability of streaming and stream platforms and yeah just the fact that hbo needs content so i think oh yeah like the fan outcry was a big part of that but 
I think I think it is I think it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm excited about the fact that we're getting a six part series because maybe just maybe. And again, I I don't like to put my faith in Zack Snyder because I really feel like he let me down with Batman vs Superman. I'm not going to lie, but I think this six part idea or four part or six part series idea can really maybe help him with his pacing. So we're not getting fucking assaulted with just what you know visual noise that he tends to and maybe 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 it can be better paced i don't know really because when you say that i immediately feel like it could only hurt the pacing you can't you can't you can't take something that's four hours long and cut it up into four hour long sections and expect you know it's to have the normal ups and downs as a as like a a regular tv show plotting kind of thing right like it is different it's the these they're creating in this different medium and it's it is different so that could be a concern but i don't know maybe it'll be maybe it'll be fine i think it's cool that they are looking at that and like taking that avenue too right though because that just it's just smart it just makes sense like why why trim it down if 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 you really think everything there is needs to be there then yeah maybe there's definitely merit there finding a way to to keep it all there yeah, you make a really, really good point about about pacing, right? Because yeah, you don't want it to feel like because what um the reason why they're doing this is it's like the Mandalorian. They want to stretch out the conversation. They don't want to do the Netflix thing and binge it. And they won't. They don't want people like they know that a lot of people are going to buy HBO Max and subscribe for the Snyder Cut. At least the dedicated fans are the people that are going to do that. And yeah, they don't want them using that free month and bouncing out right away. So yeah, spread six episodes or you know over like a month and a bit but yeah i i know i totally know what you're saying because they are two different mediums like every episode of a tv show usually has its own self-contained arc and you don't want it to feel like you're just like the movie is just kind of stopping dead you know like it's just you know it just kind of goes to a fade to black and you're kind of like oh really like and and so maybe the movie is paced well enough like i have heard good things about the hateful eight netflix cut Apparently they did they they that um on Netflix you can watch the Hateful Eight broken up as like a, a mini series and apparently hmm. like it totally works. That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that'd be worth a shot. Yeah, I like this idea of the six episode thing just because I don't know. I just see the value in it, and and, and I think I just I just I wish I am more a fan of the mini series television format even than I am with movies. Weirdly enough, like I watch more movies than I do TV, but. With what we got for high budget television these days, like I've been saying for years that like I don't want a Bat Reeves Batman movie. I want a Batman TV series. I want a Batman HBO TV series where you know where it's a where it's truly a detective show, new detective, new villains every single episode. Like, give me that. Like, I think I think like I don't know. I I, I hope this spawns some. I hope this this is what we can expect from like obviously they've they've put a lot of money into this already so they're only putting in 30 million dollars so it kind of feels like they're basically getting this for 30 million dollars but i hope uh but it, it's but it's still going to be like a full like you know high budget production so maybe that's going to spawn like we already have high budget productions for hbo to begin with with things like game of thrones but maybe with with this one we'll get even more you know yeah. Sounds like a, you know, to me, it's a $30 million experiment. And I think I'm kind of like you, Mike, and like, I, I am so intrigued just to see what happens with it. Mm. Like, that's the fun because it's, it, 
you know how you're making it out and honestly you've educated me this episode because um you made it seem like it's much more a remake of the movie than just simple like like the director's cut of Watchmen, which I love. It added yeah. some good scenes that I thought were necessary. And what you're posing is no, this isn't this. They're gonna reshoot. It's gonna have a completely different, you know, feel. Soups is gonna have no mustache. Uh, you know, all this kind of <laughs> stuff. All, all this kind of stuff. It, it's intriguing. Yeah, and, and people like. I mean, you could kind of spoil most of the movie for yourself. People have like posted um, old VFX footage that was that was unused in the in the in the movie and. It's it's different, like Steppenwolf, new character design, like Darkseid's supposed to be in it. Like it yeah. it it is like it goes so far beyond what um, a director's cut that it almost deserves its own yeah its own category. It's because you can because when you think remake too, like even that you think of like you know the fucking uh, Freaky Friday remake with Lindsay Lohan oh, yeah, or something yeah. like that. You think yeah, of like yeah. that kind of remake or or what Disney sort of does nowadays, but. This is like what? What is this like a, a redo? Like it's a redo. It's just it's, <laughs> a redo, exactly. Yeah, like it's it's fascinating. Like for me, like yeah, like never have we been in a situation where yeah, like we're gonna be able to take Justice League and take this new version, and we're gonna be able to like finally finally put that mystery to rest. Because even like even that um like uh, what is it the the Phil Lord and Chris Miller cut of uh, of of Han Solo. That was one like for me when I I was definitely let down when that went away and I don't think we'll ever get that movie even though apparently they shot ninety percent of it so maybe there's a chance we could but yeah like like that even that like if we got like one day if we did get that Christopher Nolan uh, or Christopher, Christopher Nolan Chris Miller um, Phil Lord solo and just to be able to put those side by side I just think even even on that level yeah totally totally geeky film moment for me so I'm into it one. I did want to bring up. I I just wonder, have you guys seen both Sicario and Soldado? Yes. What I thought was so cool about that was that Soldado was not actually a sequel. It was a second version of the original script. And I mean, I would assume most people would catch that because like Benicio Del Toro's character is somewhat different. His motivations are different. He's a lawyer instead of a hitman. But, you know, he's a lawyer that turns into kind of a soldier. And <laughs> Emily Blunt's character doesn't exist in the alternate script. Um, it's kind of cool because, you know, so, I mean, Sicario was a dark movie. Don't get me wrong. But Emily Blunt's character is she's almost like the conscience of the audience to be like, oh, put some humanity here. Stop this insanity. But Soldado, which was the darker script cuts her out and there's like i'm trying to think if there's any sort of redeeming quality in the characters in that movie they're all dark get into violent tragic situations but it's like the success of the first movie maybe gave them the money to do the script they wanted to do all along that's that was my guess yeah that i think that's a unfortunate sequel that one because man like i i don't i mean they they lost uh Denny Villeneuve and uh, hmm. and Roger Deakins. I just think that I just think like you can't get away from that, and and, and unfortunately that shows. Sorry, just to go the the discussion of Soldado, but you do make a good point because you're almost saying like this is a a spiritual successor of it in a way, or maybe not. I don't know. Like the best example I could think of is that um, the Mad Max series um, hmm. has an interesting trajectory where. 
it really like only thunderdome is really a direct sequel like mad max fury road or sorry mad max uh, road warrior does feel like mad max one was like you know like the training ground and two is like okay like that's my first film now i'm gonna make the movie i actually want to make which then you get fear road which is again this is the movie i actually really did want to make <laughs> and again mo- ignores everything that came before like i think thunderdome is the only one we get where that is very tied to um a lot more tied road to warrior it. yeah road Absolutely. warrior yeah because even yeah because even Row Warrior doesn't really lean too much on the one that came before, right? Like, no, it just basically like set the premise, and then yeah. it just runs with the premise. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the same is for Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, right? Yeah, um, mm. yeah. Ex- that exact, that literally that exact scenario. I mean, they make Evil Dead for pennies, and then you know it gets some success, and Raimi can come and, and make the the sequel, quote unquote, that he wanted to make, kind of thing. Real quick, what do you think about Sam Raimi possibly directing that new Doctor Strange movie? Isn't that kind of wild? I like it. I don't really care for uh, the first Doctor Strange. I don't really give a shit about Cumberbatch. Um, I think Doctor Strange, is a, as is, is kind of a boring character. So I think it might make it, – it, it draws me to the, a sequel for Doctor Strange. 100%. Exactly. I'm, I'm Isn't it supposed way. to be like a rated R horror I thought I heard rumors that it was they were gonna go R and make it a like an all out horror movie. I don't know about R, um, but they did say that they did want a horror uh, background or or background or edge to it because Scott Derrickson, the guy who directed before, was horror, and that's obviously why they got Sam Raimi. Interesting that they got Sam Raimi involved. I didn't know they could ever get Sam Raimi back in a superhero franchise after that. After his last experience, yeah, but, right, yeah, like I, 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 but I'm totally like you, Leland, where I, I kind of had no interest in the character or or the movie even before when Scott Derrickson directing it. But as soon as I heard Raimi was attached, I'm like, oh, this could be interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be worth a watch. That's that's for sure. Back to um, uh, director's cuts. Um, I'm very excited about uh, the Snyder cut. Is there a uh, just to pose a question to you guys? Um, is there any direct like can you think of any director's cuts where you were like you really felt like that is the definitive watch of a certain movie that you liked before and really felt like it doesn't get enough attention i mean in my case i can only fall back on uh donnie darko because like i have no interest in ever seeing the original cut again there's only a quasi situation i don't really want to dive into it but i do find schneider's director's cut of watchmen definitively better for me but i could see why other people thought it went on too long and they didn't need to see certain things but i think that was the only case ever where i had a dvd bought the extended cut liked it so much that i threw the dvd the original in the garbage because i was like this replaces this and i probably don't have a chance to sell this to anyone because it's a dvd and nobody cares doesn't that have two cuts as well um snyder's watchman doesn't have an extended and a director's cut I actually don't know. And now that you pose that question, I don't even know which one I own because it's been years. If that's true, I can tell you I've only seen one and I really like the one I have. Yeah, I think I honestly think there's two different ones. I think I think I'm, if I could be wrong, I think it's the regular cut and then there's the director's cut and then there's the ultimate cut. <laughs> so I think I think I think, yeah, he, he does the ultimate cut again for uh for Watchmen and I think the last 
of the ultimate cuts was what added the animated um cartoon section in okay then i don't think i have that one i'm 99 percent sure that's one i don't have yeah and then i think the director's cut had the just the footage editions but didn't also have that leland what about you any director's cut film that just blows away the original for you no no i don't really pay much attention to that um like i don't buy and own movies all that often so generally what i see is like a theatrical release um although i will say i will only ever watch the uncut version of the untold story of dewey cox and even though it's like two and a half plus hours and does drag in the middle that's the only version of that movie i will ever watch <laughs> yeah that was another one right when the comedies used to release their unrated editions right that was yeah another... totally yeah that was pretty funny. Um, one that was, uh, that's interesting is um, Terminator. Terminator 2 has a great scene that is not in the theatrical cut where they're taking the chip out of... Um, they're look, there's a chip in the T-800's brain that allows them to learn. And they're, they're turning the switch on. I think in the actual regular... Uh, in the actual regular movie, they just did it through ADR or something. Him mentioning that he has a learning computer in his in his brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in, yeah, in the yes. director's cut they actually show it, and it's a great moment because um, Sarah Connor takes out the chip and is about to smash it, and John Connor stops her, which is a good moment because she has that debate where she's like, "Why don't we just like it's a fucking Terminator? Now's our chance. We'll just smash his smash his chip." And uh, yeah, and it does a, a really some really cool camera techniques by uh, I don't know if you know Linda Hamilton has a twin sister, so they yes yes yep, yep so they did some cool uh, shooting techniques by using her double uh, her sister as a double but yeah that's that's a scene where I'm like I can see um, it doesn't maybe necessarily do all that much to the overall quality movie but it's a cool scene um, so yeah there's an example. You know, I would have loved a director's cut of Terminator 4. Salvation? Yeah, Salvation. One scene, I think, could have turned around that whole movie, which is at the very end, instead of getting, like, John Connor was supposed to go into a Terminator body. Yeah. In that one, at the end. And instead, they flipped it around. And they made it, you know, so that the Terminator was sacrificing for him to keep John alive. But that's a lesser version than what they were going to do, which is that John, at the end of that movie, would have been a Terminator who was masked. Well, like he still would have been good, but it would have been John Connor in a Terminator's body. And I, I just love the irony of that. Yeah, they they introduced some fun elements that never paid off in those Terminator sequels. Like um, Terminator Genesis. So I did a rewatch of all the Terminator series with my friend, um, and it was it's a great watch. I love watching any when I do a series watch of any movie. I like one that has like ups and downs. Like it's all fine and dandy to watch the Lord of the Rings or Back to the Future things. You know it's good, but it is fun to watch like a franchise that's sort of kind of. Well, I wouldn't even say Terminator has its ups and downs. It sort of peaks at T two and it's just a steady decline after that. It keeps going down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but Genesis was such a fun watch because I was watching it with my bu- my buddy who didn't know anything about it, and he's like, and he, uh, and he's like, oh, uh, I was like, yeah, Khaleesi's in it. He's like, oh, really? Like from Game of Thrones. I was like, he's like, yeah, he plays, uh, she plays Sarah Connor. He's like, fuck off. No, she doesn't. And I just didn't say anything. <laughs> and then he kept watching it. And he's like, whoa, you're like, you weren't fucking with me. But we actually kind of, um, 
basically we we did enjoy that one um, overall of all the sequels because one is the dumbest and shittiest so it's fun to laugh at but also because that movie like just at least it goes for something unique and does the uh just goes multiverse or or something like that but the end movie is that tur- is that uh the t-800 merges with the t-1000 liquid metal body at the end and gets yeah. that and so the idea I, like, yeah i just watched that last week that you're talking dark fate right oh no um this was oh, genesis you know? but we'll talk dark fate i want to hear okay. your thoughts on the dark, <laughs> dark d- genesis he gets the t he gets the t-1000 liquid metal um arm edition basically at the end so they were going to make another trilogy so t-800 would have been half liquid metal which would have been cool but just like yeah our like john connor being a terminator like these ideas that never were fleshed out because no one liked the sequels that is so funny to me um that both uh, the amount of times that ter- these terminator movies were supposed to spawn a trilogy like t3 was supposed to be or sorry um salvation yeah, yeah salvation was supposed to be a new trilogy genesis was <laughs> But sorry, uh, so yeah, Dark Fate. Dark Fate was terrible. Um, what were you going to say about that? Well, I, what I was going to say at the ending, <laughs> maybe this speaks a lot about Terminator. So at the end, you're saying, oh, well, he merges with the T-1000 now. In that one, it's he, his name's Rev-4, the bad Terminator. But um, when Arnie kills Rev-4 by stabbing him through the eye with the augmented human soldier's power source... They're like all this electricity forms in the dam where the final fight is. Yeah. And then the met, the floor liquefies into metal and they merge together. So I thought you were talking about that Terminator. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I hated Dark Fate. I've never, uh, like, I don't know which um, half-baked, like, fan service bullshit sequel I hated more was uh, that or, or Rise of Skywalker, man. Yeah. The problem with Dark Fate, and I mean, this could deserve its own segment, but oh, just yeah, quickly yeah. here, I think they wasted a great performance by Linda Hamilton. Um, I thought she was fantastic. The only other minor thing I did like, I liked that the bad Terminator had become advanced to the point that he had some social skills. I know that kind of really differentiates uh, or doesn't differentiate him from people or other killer robots, but I like that he could make a few jokes here and there. He spoke in different accents, like Texan, Mexican. Very minor thing I liked, but overall, yeah, it was it was the worst. It may have been the worst Terminator movie. Like I may have hated it more than anything. May I've really hated Terminator Three, so maybe what? I guess think I I think canonically, this is the thing: is that Terminator Dark Fate like offends me canonically speaking of how it fits into the franchise and what it does at least three three i actually think has a really really good ending though like for all three's faults i think it's really interesting that they find out they can't they they end up being in a bunker and they find out they can't stop judgment day like very dark very powerful ending really well done but like that's why i don't like this when directors sometimes come in and be like you know yeah we're gonna retcon and make the you know the real sequel and then they make something that's like just a shittier version of that one or maybe their sequel isn't that much better than the ones that came before like i think like it's pure arrogance oh yeah like it's pure arrogance but i think of george miller being like no this is the definitive terminator i'm like well yours is not that much better when terminator 3 or when salvation said that that was the definitive sequel or genesis when that said that was the definitive sequel to t2 like fucking release your movie first before you decide that and it was the same thing with halloween when halloween did their uh their big thing where they retconned all of them 
And I'm like, yeah, you retconned everything, but you come in and act like you've you've um, made the definitive sequel, but you just remade. Um, they remade their fucking H two O movie. They took, they they basically remade the other Halloween movie that had brought Laurie Strode back, and like I I don't know. I just think it's arrogance when these these directors kind of come in and say, you know, no, like mine is the definitive version. You know, we you know ignore those crappy movies, especially with how George Miller was leading up to that movie. I was like give me a fucking break george i was like your movie's dog shit like fuck off like i i refuse to believe that movie's a sequel to terminator 2 as far as i'm concerned terminator 2 uh, terminator franchise still stops after 2 you you almost have to for sanity's sake because spoilers listener you might want to end the episode now if you've never seen dark fate and are like a huge terminator fan the first thing they do with awesome de-aging yes. actually was legitimate good they show young sarah connor and young john and t-800 just walks up and fucking blows john away in the very first scene of the movie and what that does i know this is what you're talking about with the canon james cameron basically wiped out his two good movies from mattering i know and that's that's the biggest sin of that movie because unless i do what you do which i do do now which is considered no the franchise is ended after terminator 2 if you don't do that, then you will retroactively ruin your viewings of T1 and T2. Totally. It, it can't help but ruin it because all those character sacrifices are completely useless. It's it's the same thing that people feel about the Pal- Palpatine being brought back and, and, and Rise of Skywalker. It's Right. It's the same thing. It's like, it's like yeah, you, sequels can, and prequels can do this too, Have can sometimes really retroactively like fuck with like, their old movies and and yeah like that's exactly why i refuse to play that dark fate is canon because yeah like it completely neglects terminator 2 like and the fact that come on now a, a terminator become, can become self-aware like i i just don't buy it like i know i know we established in in um you know in judgment day that t you know terminators are capable of learning but but come on to feel empathy and to like be and, and to, to somehow like shed your programming like i don't know i just th- i just thought that whole plot line as much as it was funny watching a terminator talk about drapes like it didn't makes no fucking sense it's stupid we could go on maybe idea for <laughs> for <laughs> another episode one day <laughs> chair part terminator well i should stay away from dark fate then <laughs> oh yeah well now you know what happens now you know john Connor well that's fine that's yeah yeah there's a reason i haven't seen it yet so yeah well, boys, with an episode officially as long as Titanic, I think we should uh, wrap this one up. Uh, so, yeah, Mike, I mean, I don't know if you have anything you want to plug or if you want people to follow you on social media. Just make sure they continue to keep finding us. Um, I'm uh, on uh, my Instagram. I have two. I have Apex Creative Co., which is sort of my photography one. And then I have Macintosh 17 which is M A C K e-r-t-o-s-h uh 17 that's my personal account if you want to follow me there um but i uh hopefully we will get new uh get a couple more listeners because i will be posting this on my instagram like i did last time i i did do that and uh yeah that's how i got so many people uh well not so many people but I had a few people message me and be <laughs> like be like yo man so you're on the, the podcast and i think um uh and i think maybe uh i think we talked it boys i think we did it i think this uh this 
this uh yeah this was this is a good little listen so if you were itching to have mike herman back you got a, a an arguably a better sequel to the the previous podcast <laughs> we'll see we got the empire strikes back of podcasting just make sure you've got your hashtag factorial on on that instagram <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's great kidding. uh Yes, again, thank you very much for coming back. This was this was great. Uh, all of your socials, of course, will be in the show notes for listeners to find. Um, and, and the show stuff. So our website is ttpopcast.com. Uh, you can look at our Facebook page that Moby upkeeps and posts uh, quite often. And uh, ttpopcast on Instagram. Other than that, I, I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.